Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 58, You Were Never Alone. This week, we're discussing the 2008 Doctor Who Christmas special, The Next Doctor, as well as our favorite episodes and the broader themes and character development of season three of Buffy. We will also give a brief introduction to the Buffy spin-off series, Angel. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. And so we start with The Next Doctor, a very intriguing and enticing and teasing title. Very teasing Um, title. Um, Yeah. Well, before we dig into that tease... um, I have a couple of production things I want to run through uh, really quickly. I don't want to take too much time, but... Um, sure. Okay, first, for next week, for any of our listeners who may be watching this on Netflix, um, Netflix doesn't have the next episode up. Um, it makes no sense. I don't know what their problem is, but don't just... Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Do not just blunder on if you're watching on Netflix. Um, You need to make sure that the next episode you're watching is uh, 415, you know, the production code, Um, and it should be called Planet of the Dead. Um, So that, just a little note, word of warning to any Netflix user. I think, I mean, this episode is on DVD, it's on Amazon Prime, you know, it's on a million other places. It's not hard to find. Just, you know, be warned. (laughs) Um, So, um, one other quick note. Um, I'm going to link to something which I just emailed you, Curtis, which was a little mini episode um, that they did for... uh, They had, between Journey's End and The Next Doctor, they had a concert of Doctor Who Who music. Um, And... They did, they filmed a little five-minute, you know, one of these little mini-episodes. It doesn't really have, it has even less plot than those things normally do. Um, and it's, you know, as much as there can can be said to be a canon, it kind of doesn't even fit the canon because it the Doctor interacts with the audience at the concert and everything. Sure, so it's very sure. just, you know, it's more like a skit than anything. It's not even so much a mini-adventure in the story as much as, like, a skit featuring the doctor and everything gotcha. but but it does feature the doctor so i want to make sure that we acknowledge it and it's very cute and everything so it deserves to be seen um so i'll link to that um okay few things specific to this episode um this was a 2010 hugo nominee um didn't win but it was nominated mm-hmm. um it marks the first time that we see classic footage in the show um we've had returning we've had reference to earlier classic series episodes and we've had returning characters with monsters or sarah jane but they never actually used any footage um well even even uh the fifth doctor right in the mini yeah and the fifth doctor exactly yeah so like it's not like there's been any pretense that the classic series didn't exist or anything like they've always acknowledged Mm -hmm. the fact that this is a continuation of the story right um but they haven't to this point used any actual footage from the classic series so this is the first time and that's interesting i i don't think i mean you know i sort of knew it like if i thought about it but i never really thought about it so 
No, yeah. no, and and I think you kind of don't. Um, it doesn't really occur to you. Um, but you know, kind of like last time, it was you know, kind of like, oh yeah, that was the first time Cordy staked someone. That's worth noting. Right, like, it's right. kind of like that. Like it happens, and you're like, huh, interesting. I can't believe that hasn't yeah. happened before. Um, so you get that montage of black and white faces, you know, going through, you know, uh, from the info stamp and everything. So, um, you know, just want to make sure I mark that as a first. Um, this was also the first episode to be shown on BBC America. So, um, for American viewers, um, previously for, you know, Classic Who was shown on PBS way back in the day. That's how you know, American, like with Monty Python and stuff. That's how American viewers got their Doctor Who. But for the new show, um, they used to air on the Sci-Fi Channel. Um, And they had like a really crappy deal. You know, Sci-Fi would edit them down, like it would cut chunks out to fit, you know, commercials. Um, And they would air them like weeks or even months later than their broadcast. So, you know, you'd be getting it four or five months later than the British viewers and everything. Um, so probably at some point the BBC realized this is not ideal um, because it was, you know, something that they probably, I think, knew, they knew how popular it was in Britain and it was spreading. And I think they probably thought, well, we need a better platform to market this in America to really take advantage because we, we kind of realized we have a bit of a golden property on our hands. So, um so starting here is when BBC America got the rights, got like the first viewing rights and everything. Okay. And they've done like a fantastic job. They put way more effort into successful marketing. They even like co-produce some episodes and certain like additional content exclusive for their channel. Um, and they right. make sure that the episodes broadcast without delay. So now when, you know, a new episode airs in Britain. It airs in America later that same day, but that same day. Right. You're, um, you're not talking weeks or months like you get no, with like no, Downton Abbey or something. It just means <laughs> exactly. It means you just have to wait until it's prime time in your time zone or whatever. Right. Which um, is true in America anyway. There's East Coast and exactly. West Coast times. Yep, yep. Exactly. So I think that's made a huge difference. They've really done a great job, and it's found main it's starting to find mainstream success over here rather than just being like this little cult foreign show mm-hmm. um and i think we can talk about more about that later because it's really under moffat that the american and the international popularity has kind of exploded but i think it's worth mentioning that it was starting to happen under russell davies mm-hmm. like it you know it was this was the episode where that deal was first made um it was starting to pick up steam. And this was also 2009 was the first year that uh, they went to Comic-Con like officially. Um, You know, I don't know if they sent, you know, had a booth there before or whatever, but like, this is the first time like the Russell Davies team actually traveled to Comic-Con and they had a panel and like, you'll see footage where they are like gobsmacked because they've always been told nobody in America knows who you are. And then they get over there and, you know, Hall H with 7,000 people is, like, totally sold out and everything. And they're kind of looking at each other like, we thought nobody knew who we were. Mm. So um, so this kind of is, like, a turning point in the never, international market. Never underestimate geeks. 
No, no, not at all. And um, I mean, yeah, I don't know what I say that as a good thing. Them. That's that's yeah, yeah. Know. No, no, uh, nothing derogatory in no, that. No, I statement. consider myself among that group. Yeah. So, um, anyway, I just think when flagging like the the that's a turning point in the show. I think it kind of is marking the moment where it's starting to become a bit of a thing outside the mainstream of British culture, but into like the international market as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so to get more specific to the story, um, but still kind of from a, you know, uh, production point of view, um, I kind of want to start. So (laughs) the text you sent me from the related to this episode was, well, Russell Davies is just a big tease. Yes. Um, I still think you know, so. And I did say that uh, this title was rather, you know, ominously called, you know, yeah. the next Doctor. So why don't you kind of, because you were kind of telling me a few thoughts you had about, you know, you were kind of going into some like, what, you said something like, now you, you, you don't know what to expect anymore and anything yeah. you think you expect. So before I give my thoughts, how about you kind of give what were your thoughts behind that text and what were you thinking when you saw this episode? Well, sure. And so, you know, one time does not a tease make, but <laughs> no. but we've had already within the last couple of episodes, you know, these implications of the doctor getting ready to change. We, you know, we, we we've had hints throughout season four of, you know, your song is coming to an end and, you know, things like that, yeah. where, where there's sort of these, this idea. And so you get things like, um, journeys and, and you get like, yeah. uh, you know, things like, and, and, um, you know, the doctor starting to regenerate and you're expecting, you know, he gets killed by the dollars. I mean, that's, you know, what, starts the regeneration process, right? Or, or almost nearly yeah. killed, I guess is technically. And so, um, you know, it's, it's this idea that, Oh, you know, no, just kidding. Fooled you. You know, uh, <laughs> it went into the hand and created this meta crisis doctor and, uh, yeah. all right. Um, so then, yeah, you get this, the next doctor. So going into it, knowing just mm-hmm. the name and not anything about the episode of course again you have to i don't know how anyone could not be thinking yeah oh there's going to be a regeneration that we're going to see the next doctor like that's <laughs> that's how i was filling out that sentence in my own mind sure. right the next doctor is the object and he's what we're going to see and yeah. uh uh then you see you know Jackson Lake come out as the doctor and thinking he's the doctor and acting like the doctor. And, and I want to talk yeah. about that when we get to talking about his character, the mannerisms, especially in the beginning and, yeah. and all of the, you know, hints that you're given and you're thinking, I'm thinking, mm. well, we've already seen the doctor meet himself, you know, other yeah. versions of himself in time yeah. crash, you know? Um, yeah. And I know that there are, episodes to come where there are multiple doctors even from new who in the same and 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 my thinking you know i had sort of a a weird thought process i guess but you know i was like well 
Okay, so first of all, I totally did not recognize that the actor is the same actor as the governor in <laughs> yeah. The Walking Dead. And I yeah. should have because I love that show and, and I think he does a great job in it. But um, my daughter, of all yeah. people, pointed it out to me. Um, I learned my 12-year-old <laughs> daughter watches The Walking Dead, um, <laughs> which is fantastic, I guess. I yeah. guess I shouldn't have any reservations about her watching Buffy now then. Um, I know. I was just gonna say, hasn't she like not seen Buffy yet? Yeah, like she hasn't. So, uh, although she is a big Doctor Who fan, she's actually further along than I am in, in Doctor Who. So, oh, man. Uh, anyway, back to the, my point was, you know that that you see this guy, you know, you see him acting like the Doctor, and you see him, but then you know, you always have that. We've talked about how we try not to talk about cast changes, but I'm like, yeah, I know who plays the next Doctor, and this right. is not right. him. Right. So right. so then it's like, well, maybe maybe they're are they implying that he's somewhere further? Because you get that one line from the doctor, you know, you're the next me or the next me by one removed or whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah, whatever yeah. It, it could like, be like the the yeah. the twelfth doctor. Right. So something. I'm thinking, well, maybe it's not one removed because we know who that is now too. Maybe it's you know like fifteen removed. You know, it could he yeah. could be any point along. You know the the five met ten. You know, it could be five doctors later that that yeah. this guy is um and you and you're like yeah but uh, i don't know you know like it that is that too far but then you start getting the things about like the memory like loss and you're like well mm. if he did lose his memory maybe that explains because you know uh 10 remembered five and meeting him and seeing what he did and that's how he knew what to do you know like it's that whole you know yeah. there's wibbly wobbly whatever going on and so so right. maybe just maybe there is something actual going on here. But then, then of course, I I thought they did a really good job of, you know, the the emerging realization of what's going on because you do really sort of figure it out as the doctor's figuring it out yeah. and yeah. and come to that realization where oh you know what all that stuff I thought before that's just kind of silly and then that's when you think oh Russell Davies you big tease you know. Um, <laughs> So, you know, yeah. I, I, I guess, okay, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, uh-huh. shame on me. I definitely overthought that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, sure. Although sure. I still blame him a little bit. Uh, you know, yeah. but I guess the other thing is like, you know, I, I would even sort of go back and equate this to the comment. I almost said complaint, but not really complaint, but comment about the multiple uses of the Daleks emergency, you know, time, whatever, mm. you know, uh, what, what do they call that? The emergency, uh, temporal oh, shift. Emergency temporal shift. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, okay. You've gotten us twice now. I hope it doesn't happen again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think it'd be going one too far, but, but it's that very recognition of it could he could yeah. trick us again or he might not. That makes me, you know, getting back to what you were saying, that makes me think I don't, I don't, I honestly can't predict. And I like that. I like that. I can't predict. It's the same with Joss Whedon. You know, he's going to kill someone. You don't know who, you don't know when, you know, he's going to do yeah. it though. And you just have to wait for that moment to, to happen. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. um, you know, good, good fake out, good fake out. Please don't do it again. You know, I, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. If, I mean, well, I'll still okay. watch so, the show. So, but yeah, obviously. No, and I, and I have a couple things I want to add to that. Because, like, definitely. So, I think I said this way back in um, 
Planet of the Ood when there's the first, you know, because, okay, so we have got this extended, very deliberate, very carefully planned tease, mm -hmm. you know. So you start with um, your song must end soon. And then you have, even from a meta point of view, you've got the, the announcement of Russell Davies handing over the show running duties to Moffat. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so, you know, you're getting your audience to be thinking about when is regeneration going to come? Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, back into the story, you get the fake out in the stolen earth, you know, which is, again, messing, A, is messing with your audience, you know, screwing with them during the week-long break. And also, having the doctor actively choose not to regenerate, which I think right. is a not, an, that's not an insignificant plot point. Um, and then again, like you said, we get this really cheekily, cheekily titled episode, which is totally meant to provoke fan internet discussion speculation. and speculation yeah, yeah. and everything. And it helps too that whenever rumors would circulate about who could be the next doctor, David Morrissey's name would always be in the list somewhere. So it kind of helps that it's someone who, like, okay. in gossip magazines was, like, oh, a popular choice as, like, a possible su successor. So, I mean, they said, like, oh, that's not why they chose him. Like, he's a good actor. But, like, it doesn't hurt. You know? Like, right, right. You're, you're flirting with the audience. So It, it might have tipped the, I think, the, 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 the seesaw in his favor if they yeah. were considering someone else. Right. Yep, yep. So... Um, so, and I, I mean, so I think there's like two things that this does, you know, I mean, one, it's just kind of like, again, an extended interaction with your audience of, you know, fooling them and teasing them and making them so that they don't know what to expect. Um, but I think it, it's more than just like a sadistic you know, <laughs> uh, on my way out, I'm going to, like, mess right, with right. people kind of thing. Oh, it's um, also that. It's just it's more than that. that. <laughs> well, and it's, like, the same thing I said about, like, if 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 all that the, like, fake out with the hand did at the end of Stolen Earth was, like, just a fake out, it would, it, it would almost annoy me. But the fact that it has story consequences is what I like about it. Like, the fact that yeah. because of what he does with that, because of the Doctor's decision to not regenerate and to push the energy off all this other stuff happens, you know, mm -hmm. like the whole, you know, you get a second doctor who then wipes out the Daleks and then he goes with Rose and then Donna becomes the doctor Donna and he loses her. Like it has so many right. story implications too. And I think we need to not just look at this as like, again, like the showrunner, like, you know, playing cat and mouse with his, audience but also like what are the story implications too? sure sure because and i think again i did start saying this right back when uh the ood first made that prophecy the ninth doctor's regeneration is very much even though it leaked which was unfortunate it was structured as something of a surprise mm -hmm. like it was meant to be a like it's it's meant to be for Rose something that comes completely out of the blue. She's never heard of it before. She has no idea what's going on. She has no preparation for it. And that's how it was meant to hit the audience. It's mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. you you know, I mean, you may have seen it before in the classic series, but in general, it's supposed to be something that catches us off guard. Like, we don't expect it to happen that soon when it does, you know, whatever. 
And I think rather than doing that again, he's changing it up. How can we do a regeneration different than what we did it before? And so I think instead, it's the opposite. It's what do, what's the effect of something that you know is coming, you yeah, know, yeah. other than just not just in the abstract, like, oh, he knows it's going to happen someday. But like, no, it's been prophesied. You can almost see it. And, you know, so you're getting characters who are prophesying it. You're getting it almost happens and he prevents it from happening. And now he's getting a character who seems to be the next star in incarnation. And so, like, I just want to keep that for the doctor's character in mm -hmm. mind. The fact that for him, he's being teased, too. Like, right. he's sitting there thinking, when is this going to happen? How's it going to happen? And I think if it was just a tease, that would be one thing. But keep that in mind in terms of, like, what that does... What would that do to your psyche to know, mm. you know, <laughs> that, mm. that this is coming down the pike, you know, and to keep having this, like, it's almost like, de not delayed gratification, because it's not a good thing, but like, right. you know, this, right, it's ominous, sense of, yeah, 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 there is definitely, so, uh, uh, right, uh, uh, your, a protracted, you know, sense of, yeah. of, not quite horror unease i guess might be what i would call it you, you know just yeah. like this you know something's coming and and you're right i mean definitely i having said all that i said and i still think it all still applies i agree with yeah. you i think i think you know i like this story very much uh, may yeah. may be my favorite of the christmas episodes so far okay. um you know and i think and for a number of reasons, which we can get into momentarily. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that it's, you know, definitely well acted. Um, but I think also sort of the highlighting, like we've gotten the the episodes where the doctor's sort of looking for a new person, uh, you know, to travel with. And like we saw Donna, you know, for the runaway bride mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, but she chooses not to go with him. But this one, you know is also different in that it's the doctor who is sort of the companion, at least at first, right? He's the one figuring out what's going on and following this other guy calling yeah. himself the doctor and that kind of thing. But, but at the end you still get that poignant, you know, you know, you were never alone. Where is everyone else? Why, yeah. why are you alone here? Um, but at the same time, even though by the end of the episode, he doesn't have a companion, you feel like, his companionship with Jackson Lake has grown way closer than any of the others, like by the end of the first episode, you know what I mean? Like sure. yeah. e even Rose and, Mar you know, Rose, Martha, Donna, the first time he meets any of them, it's tentative. And, and, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. And would you like to come with me? But you know, by the end of this episode, you have Jackson Lake inviting the doctor and then insisting that the doctor come with him. And the doctor's yeah. like, you changed my mind. No one else has ever done that. It's him changing other people's mind, inviting them yeah. to go with him. So I think yeah. I think you're right. There is definitely some really interesting turns that the doctor takes in this episode. And, and even with the tease, I think obviously it's well executed and and and. And I think for the length of the episode, you're not really left hanging too longly, longly, too long, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, on, on the idea. It, like I said, it is a sort of a, an emergent thing that 
yeah. you really you really do kind of um you know come to enjoy you know figuring out what exactly is going yeah. on with the yeah doctor. putting all the pieces you get like you said you get to do it along with the doctor and yeah. notice things as he notices them and, right you right. know yeah and and hey i don't say tease again in a derogatory way i think this is a very oh yeah yeah very cleverly executed plan that russell is engaging with so i say that with respect you know it can be okay. frustrating on the first watch but um but i enjoy seeing how did he do that how does he keep faking us out you know yeah. what's the like the c.s lewis surprisingness of it you know right right you know so yeah so i want to start talking um before we get into like all the characters in more depth, I want to talk about the setting and the situation and the sort of the yeah. tone or, or the, the two tone of it um, mm-hmm. as we were sort of talking about before the podcast. So the, um, okay, Christmas special, it's Christmas or Christmas Eve anyway at the, you know, at the start and it's snowing. We usually get at the, in the Christmas episodes, we get the snow at the end that isn't real snow, but of course, yeah we get the beginning where it's, it's snowing and, and it's Christmas and you get this very happy sort of, you know, the music playing and it's not like, I, I love that like jolly Christmas music. Yeah. And yeah. Everything. Yeah. Well, and, and you don't get like these creepy, you know, doll face machine men playing instruments. They're actual people, <laughs> no. you know, like, yeah. you know, they're not threatening yeah. in any way. They're, they're yeah. just nice, normal people singing joyfully at Christmas time. And that's fun and yeah. cool. Um, also, the first Christmas that episode that we've seen uh, in New Who, anyway, that is not a present day. Yes. Uh, episode. Yep. So. Yep, that's another first. Uh, yeah. So just sort of a, you get this callback to 1850s Victorian era, uh, you know, mm. and and uh, very Dickensian, especially mm-hmm. especially in the beginning and, and first half, and then you know. Again, at the end, you get this very Dickensian feel, you yeah. know, the the street carts, you know, selling produce and, and fish yeah. and whatever. And, and yeah, asking and the, the asking the little street urchin, what day is this? It's right. Christmas Day. It's right, like right. straight out of a Christmas exactly, carol. Exactly. Except, except he says, what are you, thick or something? Like, <laughs> right, I don't think right. they said that in Dickens. No. But, but the, the situation is very Dickensian. Yeah, no, it's, I mean... It's what immediately came to my mind when yeah, he gets yeah. out of the TARDIS and there's, um, you know, all this stuff sort of going on. And and um, so, yeah, so I like that. But then even, you know, Dickensian feel with all of the, you know, the kids going to the workhouses. Right. And sort mm-hmm. of the the men in top hats, you know, running the town kind of thing. And, and yeah. um, the you know, the vicar and the reverend and the, you know, whoever else. And then you have this you know, woman of questionable repute, you know, like, uh, who, who is sort of trying to stand up to them and, and you're not quite sure if she's able to and all of that. Um, yeah, I like the way without going too like manic between the two, I like the way that this episode kind of indulges both sides of the Victoria. Like it has the very, Mm-hmm. the word wholesome always comes to mind with this episode for me, especially with Jackson. It's so wholesome. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very, it's very comforting. It's very jolly. It's, you know, it's, it's clean and pure and all these things, but then you get little hints of some of the Victorian underbelly, you mm-hmm. know, like you get like the, you know, questionable ladies or you get, you know, more unenlightened 
gender roles or you know yeah, you yeah, get yeah. like child labor you know yeah. issues right. like and and factories and all these sorts of right, things right. so like you get like kids you know being taken advantage of and industrialism and all those mm-hmm, things mm-hmm. so i like the way it kind of finds a place for both of them yeah. you know which yeah. is kind of that that dualism is very much a part of that time period so it kind of yeah. works yeah and is very much again I said Dickens many times now, but you know, that's exactly what he wrote about. There is, you know, the joyfulness, but there's also the, the sort of the impoverished and, and, uh, you know, the play too. Yeah. Yeah. The Uh, the same, the same guy that writes a Christmas Carol also writes hard times, you know, it's like, yeah. Um, so we were talking too about how the tone of the show flips almost about halfway. So you get the, You, you know, you get the uh, children going into the workhouse to find out that what are they working on? Well, they're working on this massive, like, steampunk, you know, generating electricity for this huge yeah. steampunk Cybermen thing. And it totally flips over into this uh, really steampunky kind of yeah. uh, story, uh, you know, with with the Cybermen and with the, um, you, you know, Miss Hardigan. Uh, 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 oh, man um anyway so like the the you know um and the hot air balloon right the tardis that is a hot mm-hmm. air balloon which yeah. which you get introduced early on but you're just kind of like okay but yeah then it totally becomes you know a yeah. steampunky kind of uh, uh uh you know vehicle or whatever so um and i kept thinking like this is um i, I kept thinking pacific rim like when you see this big uh <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, steampunk. Although, I mean, I guess the robots in that weren't exactly steampunk, but you know, kind of reminiscent of that oversized, like ridiculously oversized, you know, yeah, robots yeah. with gears and and uh, pipes and. Well, and that's what really sells it is is the industrial age technology. It's it's all like geared and you know and powered by steam. You know, like right. and I think I said this before we started recording. Like, it's a nice contrast. To like the very digital Cybermen in like Rise of the Cybermen, where it's all about the earpods and internet and uploading and all that stuff. Whereas here, it's kind of back to probably more where they first started. You know, digital stuff didn't exist in 1966. Right, not the way it does now. You know, no. So I think this is more kind of back to the Cybermen roots of more that marriage of the modern with the Victorian, which is what steampunk is, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so the technology, like, especially of that big cyber ship, you can see, like, the, the the turning gears and the levers and, you know, and the fact that it's yeah. all powered by the factory and everything. Yeah, and even with, like, so, you know, when I always think of, like, 60s robots, you know, you think of Asimov and that kind of thing where, yeah. you know, yeah, th- like, there's... Like they have explanations, but yeah, oh, it's the positronic brain, you know, it's like, you know, again, the more just sort of uh, uh, hand waving or whatever that explains how they're moving and thinking. But yeah, this, this, you know, uh, the cyber, yeah, you think of, you know, Robbie the robot and that kind of thing, you know, it's the the very, the gears and the moving and um, so, but, but there is a very distinct sort of shift in tone, which I I like it. I like how it, um, you know, I, I like story wise just how it does that, but also because then you get the shift 
with the tone, you get the shift of the doctor's um, interest and and um, you know uh, investigation of going from Jackson Lake and sort of the early part and figuring out what's going on with him to uh, Miss Hart again and and trying to think of yeah uh, yeah and I keep thinking Miss Hannigan, you know, like Annie, but oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but not quite. Uh, and we'll we'll probably talk about this more too, but like like you said, or like the way that that shift in tone reflects like the shift in the mission, like going right, from right. helping Jackson to trying to help Miss Hardigan. So, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about them more specifically. So let's, and we'll start with Jackson Lake because he's okay. more interesting. Um, he is. More interesting. <laughs> uh, and and we should start with just the whole next doctor stuff because that's yeah. how we meet him, right? So it's um, you know after immediately after the doctor is sort of reveling in in the Christmas spirit, um, you hear someone yelling "Doctor," you know, and he's <laughs> yeah. like, and, and I love that it, you know "Doctor," and he goes "Who? Me?" Right? So you get the you get the Doctor Who there, and yeah. Um, I think you get who, it somewhere me? else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but it's that yeah. sort of someone else saying doctor and him saying who me, because, you know, just kind of yeah. the, the, the play on, on yeah. the phrasing. Yeah. There. yeah. Um, yeah. And then of course, you know, he goes and finds out, um, it's this woman, Rosita, we'd learn later, uh, who is not, is calling for the doctor. And, and, you know, there's always that moment when you hear someone like saying for the, you, you know, calling for the doctor or, or saying doctor or some, are they really talking about the doctor or is it, you know, right, sort of right. the medical doctor or something, you know? And yeah, so yeah. Um, I like, you know, there's, that's another part of the fake out is the doctor comes running, but she's not calling for him. Yeah. But she kind of is, you know, like she is calling for right. the doctor. <laughs> the doctor. She yeah. It's just someone else who. Is or she's calling for her doctor or, you know, right, right, like, right. yeah, yeah. So, you know, so again, it's sort of like, you know, a, a, another uh, theme, you know, another, another uh, uh, you know, version of, of that whole fake out. But uh, you see him come up and, and I want, I said, I wanted to talk about sort of the mannerisms because that's sort of the, yeah. the thing you get, right. You get the, um, you know, he runs up and he's just going right into the situation and, you know, yeah. well, who are you? Well, who are you? You know, and, and, you know, both of them sort of giving it back to each other, just as the yeah. doctor would do to anyone else, you know. Um, but also, you know, the the little things, the, the way they sort of both, uh, you know, thrust out their sonic screwdrivers or non, yeah. non-sonic screwdrivers. <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah. my favorite is... They both say Alan Z, and then they yeah. both just kind of look at each other. Like, right. there's this little flick of the eye as they both, like, yeah. what? What is yeah. going on right now? Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. In this exact same moment. Um, yeah. And and so then, you know, you get the creature that sort of jumps out and goes running up the building, and um, they're both kind of doing their own little techno babble, you know, about what it is or whatever. And, and then you get yeah. Jackson Lake, you know lassoing him you know which you know again you know this very sort of industrial or or just pre-industrial kind of you know almost wild western but yeah but but we're in england so that doesn't quite work i don't know right although the time period works time period works yeah but just kind of a funny um and and yeah and his total you know willingness to just 
be carried up the wall and then yeah, you yeah. get the doctor being carried up the wall as well and 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 even their banter like while they're being carried up you know yeah, yeah. you know pull how can i be not pulling in this state you know like of yeah. course i'm trying to pull them back away um and then of course the the sheer joy and laughter that they both have when um rosita cuts the line and and they're saved or whatever and and they're just kind of rolling around laughing on the floor and hugging yeah. each other and you know it's you know just uh again that sort of the joy of the experience the the not really knowing what's going to happen but having fun with it anyway <laughs> you know yeah 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 um, so very good um uh, sort of parallel paralleling each other's um uh mannerisms and and well i i mean i guess it's jackson lake really paralleling the doctor's mannerisms um, sure sure and but then you also get, um, you know, sort of a little bit later, you know, when he's, you, you know, he, he's in investigative mode and using his screwdriver to try to break into a <laughs> place. And, you know, yeah. but he's, you know, the more serious, I guess, side of, of things where he's really trying to figure things out and he knows something's wrong and doesn't quite know what it is. And and the stuff with the memory, you know, again, memory we've talked about has been a theme yeah. all throughout mm-hmm. season four and it's continuing right along and in, into the specials here of of you know someone who's lost his memory and doesn't want to quite admit that he's lost his memory but no he's in denial but <laughs> um you know seems to be trusting I, I love that moment where he says to the, to the doctor you know i i seem to trust you like you know like yeah. this this weird kind of thing which has a nice resonance later of when the doctor again says to him, you know, I don't, not many people have changed my mind. Like, you know, that's, that's something that's unique. And, and, and so you get sort of a, uh, you know, prevision of that moment in Jackson Lake saying, you know, I seem to trust you for some reason. I don't know why. Um, Yeah. Well, you kind of get like, I think you're right that, he does have, by the end, a, a special sort of insight into the doctor just by virtue of having certain of those memories or personality things sort of. Yeah. It's kind of like Madame de Pompadour, you know, like. Right. Like that's the connection. Like, yeah, I didn't she think kind of, of that, had yeah. that connection, too, because of the mind meld thing, you know, like she, in a way, understood him better than anybody, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of it's kind of like Jackson gets that little peek into the doctor's head right right Um, well and and, you know that's the other connection because even though like the you know the the sadness well the loss of memory is like specific to the character and the sadness is more to do with like specifically his circumstances but that's generally a parallel too that underneath all the um adventure and fun and bravado and all that stuff you have this kind of lurking loss and sadness and, mm-hmm. you know, like that the depths of that character is very similar to the doctor, even though it's for slightly different reasons. Um, that makes him very doctorish yeah. too. It makes him plausibly doctorish, right. you know? Well, and, and you get those moments of, um, and I, I can't remember, I think this is before he realizes he's not actually the doctor, but Jack, Jackson Lake, um, says to Rosita, you know, with all the things the Time Lord has seen, yeah. everything he's lost, he may, he must surely have bad dreams, you know, like, like, yeah. like, yeah, you're right. Like, because of 
this memory that he's sharing. And and I did not make the connection with Madame de Pompadour, but absolutely right. The, you know, I didn't the, until two seconds ago. The whole, well, but I think it works great. The whole, you know, the opening two doors, you know, you can yeah, see into my yeah. mind and I can see into yours. And, and so this is another sort of version of that, I think definitely. And, and yeah. um, there is that sort and, of empathy sorry, that, that can't be, um, you know, uh, explained or, or, even experienced except for, you know, by someone who share memories, uh, together. So, well, and the most poignant part of that to me, that part where he says, um, with all the things a time Lord has seen everything he's lost, surely he must have bad dreams. And the doctor just says, yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, he does that. Like, he's just like, yeah, you're right. Like nobody else kind of realizes that, but he's just in that. It's not something he talks about. I don't think, does the doctor even sleep? We've never heard the doctor talk about his dreams. You know, that's not something that he's, like, broadcasting. But, like, when Jackson says that, he just kind of quietly acknowledges mm. that that's true, you know? Um, right. So it's kind of like a little, a poignant little moment, I think. Yeah. That doesn't really get, like, acknowledged. It just sort of, or it, it's only barely acknowledged, and then we're yeah. just sort of moving on. Yeah, no, and and I like sort of the subtlety of that because it is, it is just sort of an off the cuff, and and we've gotten that sort of off the cuff remark from the doctor himself from time to time. So again, even that sort of fits into the mold of being the doctor, right? It's this really small but poignant insight into his yeah. psyche that it just sort of gets tossed off, you know. And the fact that it's once removed doesn't really make that big of a difference. Well, and the fact that it's kind of so subtly kind of just pointed in there and then we're moving on almost makes it mean. It's one of those things that less is more, that, like, right. it means more than a big, long speech about nightmares. It's just a little moment of, yeah, no, yes, he is haunted by things. Yes, he does have bad dreams. So, no. Yeah. Um, there's there's another um, sort of reference to that, too, of, of when... Uh, you know, Jackson as thinking he's still the doctor, you know, talking to the doctor who's calling himself John Smith. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he says, think of it, John, the time and the space, you know. Yeah. And then the doctor says, the perfect escape. Do you ever wonder yeah. what you're escaping from? And you're like, you know, he's asking that question because that's exactly the thing he wonders, right? Like, yeah, yeah. That's, and, and that's been alluded to before, too. What are you running away from? Why do you run so much, yeah. doctor? You know, what is it that you're running away from? Um, yeah. So definitely. Uh, and something that we wonder, too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like even in the classic series, vaguely you're aware that he's cut off. You know, I think it's in the in the very first episode. He says he and he and his granddaughter are cut off from their home. You never find out why. Um, you know, and there's plenty of speculation, but yeah. that's even a, a mystery to us, you know, is what is he escaping from? Yeah. What is he running from? Well, and, and and I think you've said before, too, in the classic series that there's like whole seasons, right, where um, they're banished to Earth or at least a season. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, we do see like it, within like the story that we know periods where he's banished to Earth. But I don't think it's ever been revealed, and I'd be surprised if it ever is revealed, why he left in the first place. Yeah. that That's something that's never really... And I think that's something that is almost 
it's one of those things that that's even too mythic to touch. <laughs> like, sure, like sure. no, probably no writer will ever definitively put that into like words. Yeah. The you only, know, it's something the only so thing... far back in the, so we get hints. Oh, plenty of writers give us hints of it, you know, sure. or suggest things, but I don't think it's ever been definitively stated why he and his granddaughter left Gallifrey. Oh yeah. Yeah. No. And I wasn't even going to go there cause I have no clue. I've not even seen any classic doctor who, but um, I was just going to say that the sort of the closest thing that jumped into my mind when we we're sort of talking about that is um, the doctor, when he's talking about the master, he's telling um, Martha and Jack about sort of who the master is and, and being young and looking into whatever you know the rift or the whatever it was mm-hmm. that they look in that all the young Gallifreyans look into yeah. and you know he says you know some you know some get like hope or inspired and some run away and then yeah. some go mad and yeah. and at the end they're like okay well but what did you do and he goes oh yeah. me I ran you know I ran, I ran. away yeah. <laughs> so like like there was never any question like from a very young age he's been yeah. running. So even, been running. even if there's some specific event that cut him off from. Yeah. And that's know, what the... I, that's what I mean is like, I don't think it's ever really, it's certainly not known. And I doubt it ever will be like whether there was a particular incident, Yeah, but, but you do get Davies and plenty of other writers giving these sort of mythic hints, you know, that, yeah, yeah. Of, of, as to, you know, and to add kind of mystery and depth and everything. So, and but I guess my point is sort of even with those mythic kids, which you're right, absolutely, we get those, and and those are important. Like it's also just part of his personality to yes. be a yeah. runner. Yeah, to, yeah sure. And yeah. you almost, and it goes back to that: is he cut off because of someone else, and you know they banned him or whatever, or is it really just that? he would have become cut off no matter what. Like there, yeah. there would, whatever events may have occurred, he, he seems to be someone who cuts himself off. Right. Like yes. that's yeah. that by nature. Yeah. Even, even as much as he protests and as much as he doesn't want to, he loses Rose. He loses Martha because he's not paying attention to her. You know, he loses Donna yeah. because of events that transpire, some of which go directly back to him. You know what yeah. I mean? So like, Um, And that's even, I think, the question uh, of, you know, or not the question, but more the statement of Davros pointing at him, you know, I name you doctor, you know, like, like that whole scene. And the, the, you keep running, uh, the man who keeps running, never looking back because he tear not out of shame, you know. Right, exactly. So again, you know, these, I think you're right, there are these big mythic hints of, of why he's running or whatever, but you kind of feel like he's just always been doing that no matter what. Yeah. And, you know, maybe not technically like maybe he didn't leave Gallifrey as a, you know, 10 year old boy or whatever, but like, you know, certainly he's been running in some form or another since then, or thinking yeah. about running or wanting yeah. to run or, yeah, you know, I think that's absolutely right. Yeah. So. Well, and, and two, that's the big difference that it struck me this time. One of the big differences between, Jackson Lake, even in his doctor mode, and the doctor. Oh, right. We're talking about Jackson Lake, aren't we? We're talking about Jackson Lake. (laughs) To bring us back to Jackson Lake, one of the things that interested me was that when he does show him the TARDIS, and I love the 
tethered aerial release developed in style. Like the the he just makes up what the the acronym might yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and, and it's tethered, right? It's not going it's anywhere. Tethered. Well, it's tethered, and that's it. Is he he dreams of leaving? He never does. And and oh, right. you know. Once London is safe, you know, but then I'll ascend. But you kind of get the, he doesn't really want to go anywhere, you know, and that he makes that very clear. And that's absolutely as far from the doctor as you can get. You know, the doctor doesn't, you know, the doctor wants to stay until the Cybermen are defeated, of course. The doctor, I'm, you know, I'm not assigning any, like, you know, malicious motives to the doctor, but the doctor isn't going to stay until all of London is safe from everything. Right. He is going to get in that TARDIS and fly, and that's his nature yeah. to do that. Yeah. And that's kind of the big difference between the Doctor and the companions or the people or the humans or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and and um, I thought the second time I watched that, I, saw, I thought that similar thing about the, um, you know, the stables, and you go in there and he's like, oh, you live here? He's like, oh, yes, the TARDIS isn't, you know, someplace where you can actually stay. And, yeah, of course, we're yeah. thinking, no, that's precisely where the doctor is. That's exactly. Is. Yeah, know, like the TARDIS isn't really a home. Well, it kind, it, of, is. It kind of is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually, it is my home and has been these long years. So, yeah, um, yeah you, you know, the doctor isn't someone who's going to sit around in a building for, uh, you know, months or years studying and doing sort of the slow, uh, you yeah. know, working out of things. Now, of course, we have seen him do that a couple of times, but there was extenuating circumstances, right? We saw that with yeah. um human nature and the family of blood, right? You know, he's for three months he's trying to be John Smith in this yeah. one place. And And it's a nice little callback to that with the fob watch. And I like yeah, the, yeah. the I like the reversal of I love how quiet and reverent it gets. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this is here it comes the fob watch. Here it comes. Yeah. Uh, Oh, no, it's just a huge letdown. I, I was, <laughs> Maybe not. I was watching it um, the second time I saw this. I, I watched it with my nine-year-old daughter. And um, when they mentioned the watch, she goes, oh, like she had this big intake of breath, like, like you know, it all made sense there. And I, and I, just, yeah. I just loved it because then she sees yeah. I loved it because then she was so disappointed, <laughs> you know. But no, um, but yeah, you know, she, she got the fake out, you know, and, and it's just yeah. like, uh, anyway, but... Yeah, no, I like that too. Um, I was also going to say we also get in the year that never was, but that wasn't really his fault. He was a prisoner. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he wasn't like right, sitting right. around trying to figure out how to. I mean, they were trying to because they, you know, fight back and get you know the laser. Yeah, no, but whatever, it's but... not by choice. Yeah, right. It's. Yeah. I mean, or he's... like or like blink. You know, they're stuck without the TARDIS in the '60s, and they're stuck there for however yeah. long. And, <laughs> and so, Martha has like... to get a job. And Martha has to get a job to support him. I'm sorry, so I like, didn't think about that, but it's like there are those examples. But like you said, it's always because of yeah. some some. There's reason extenuating, it's not... and it's never really yeah. either. It's either the doctor under duress or force or whatever, or it's not really the doctor, like with John Smith. You know, it's right, it's right. it's the you know he's changed himself and and yeah. become this other person. So yeah, um, so yeah, you do get that sense when you go into the stables of okay, you're this, this is your home and like you're here a while. And I think that's the first time I watched it. I think that's when I was really like, Oh, okay. Yeah. There's something really messed up going on here, but I don't, I think even then I was not quite prepared to admit that he wasn't the doctor yet at that point. It wasn't, (laughs) I think it wasn't until we actually went out and saw the balloon and the TARDIS that I was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the other thing with the balloon too is, um, I like I like the idea. I think that might be a allusion to the Wizard of Oz and the way that you have. I I won't go so far as to call Jackson like a humbug, but he's definitely right. the man behind the curtain. You yeah, know, like yeah. he's the 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 little. Huh. You know, normal human sort of fuddy-duddy behind the big mighty. He's not the big powerful wizard. He's right. just a guy. Um, so I kind of like that. Like that that's a little hint that he's not who he says he is, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, that kind of thing. Yep. Um, <laughs> so in the eight minutes we have left. Oh, good uh, <laughs> Um we, oh, so uh, Jackson Lake. Well, we've kind of wandered a lot, so. Yeah, Jackson Lake as the doctor also has a companion, Rosita. He does have a companion, yeah. <laughs> um, hilarious. I laughed out loud when, when I first heard her name, Rosita. Yeah, yeah. And, and, the doctor. and she's kind of like a mix of Rose and Martha and Donna. It's kind of generic companion, you know, yeah, yeah. all-purpose companion. <laughs> right, right. Um, Rosita, good name. Hello, Rosita. Yeah, yeah like... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it hits the doctor right away. <laughs> yeah. Ah, we see. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. Like it, it is sort of this mix of companions and, and rightfully so, because that's who Jackson Lake is, right? He's a mix of the memories yeah. of the doctor. So of course he's going to be sort of attracted to someone who fits into those roles. Um, yeah. But you also get the odd moments of, of, um, period attitude towards women <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? and that's kind of what i'm alluding to with the uh, unenlightened gender policy yeah 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 like yeah the 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 companion <laughs> does what the doctor says <laughs> right, right like there's certain things that the doctor just doesn't say you know <laughs> like that's not very uh you know yeah. and, and i mean obviously i think that's in keeping with the with the period that jackson right. belongs to you know yeah no Definitely. And, and, but again, it's, you get that sense of something's not quite right here. Cause like the doctor wouldn't say that. Yeah. Would he like, yeah. um, so anyway, um, yeah. And then, you get some other kind of companiony things like, um, like he says, she's always telling me off and the doctor says, well, they do, don't they? Right. Right. Um, like that, that's, that's, that's what they're there for. And then, um, her, uh, outraged when they leave and she says he's always doing this leaving me behind you know and you think of all the yeah companions he's left behind and everything so mm-hmm. like there's certain there's always little lines in there that it's like oh that's very resonant with you know yep what yep. the companion stands for and yep. everything um but also the insight that she has and it yeah. is you know the the yeah you know she when she's sort of telling the doctor how they met and and he saved her you know um it turns into an appeal, right? It, it, can't you help him, sir? He has such terrible dreams. And that's where we get yeah. the, you know, the, the response from Jackson Lake. But um, just that, that idea that he is some, he's someone who needs someone, right? Just like the real yeah. doctor. He yeah. he needs yep. help from someone. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I mean, we don't really get to know Rosita well enough, but I mean, I think you're right. Just the, that, she is sort of that all-purpose companion, and we 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 recognize in her sort of all the things we like about the other companions, and mm-hmm. we like her just because they remind us of the others, yeah, you know. And yeah, yeah. Not to sort of steal away her agency because she does save their lives, and you know, like cuts the rope and yeah. you know do this and that. But but I think 
just for lack of time, we don't really get to know her that well. So, um, but, uh, you know, nice to sort of see that, that he takes that on as well. And, and you get the sense that she's still going to be around, although in the capacity of like someone who will watch the children, I know it's like, ah, oh, come on, really dude. Oh, well, come on. <laughs> um, I know. It's like, it's like, yeah, the doctor says, oh, take care of her, you know, wink, wink, nudge, right, nudge, right. and Jackson's like, oh, Jack- Frederick needs a nursemaid, and you're just like, oh, yeah. face palm. Yeah. You know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, which we've done with the real doctor as well at times. Sure, of course. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit oblivious, but. Um, I want to, so before we move away from Jackson, like. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to talk about Miss Hardigan much. Um, yeah, not much. You know, I we have to talk about that speech at the end because yeah. after all, you know, the doctor saves them all and whatever. Oh, and well, okay. So even going back, I also love that moment where he he says, you know, can you help me, Mister Smith or John Smith mm-hmm. or whatever, and and the doctor, oh, that's two words I can never resist. You know, yeah, yeah. Or I think he just says help me or something like that. You know, whatever the phrasing is. Um, but yeah. but you get to the end there, and you get the doctor defeating the big Cyberman, you know, steampunk dude, um, <laughs> and not saving Mrs. Hardigan, Miss Hardigan, mm-hmm. um, and and you get that moment of we've seen you know him save the Earth, and especially at Christmas time, you know, several times now, right, several yeah. times over, and and I just I love that Jackson Lake stands up and just you know gives his address ladies and gentlemen i know that man that doctor on high (laughs) i know he's done this deed a thousand times but not once no sir not once not ever has he ever been thanked but no more for i say to you on this christmas morn bravo sir bravo 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 sir um no, I. Yeah. It's a great little thing, and and that's you know once again we're done with the steampunk part. We're back to the Dickensian yeah, happy yeah. ending. You know, well, and that's what I love about David Morrissey's performance in this is he's so sincere. Yeah, he's so he just fits the period so well. You know, he just seems like he walks straight out of you know mm-hmm. the Victoria, and and that you know the speech is like, yeah, like totally just you know, heartfelt and sincere and not a cynical bit of it. And like, it's just, you know, and I got a very, it reminded me a lot of the prom on this viewing, you Mm, know, after mm, we watching that, like here we have a moment of he's, you know, he's done this deed a thousand times, but you know, and not that he's never been thanked by individuals, but he doesn't get thanked by society. as You don't get the cheering crowds. No, you you don't get that kind of corporate acknowledgement Mm -hmm. of, you know, so it it has that like, yeah, that feeling of, you know, you're just happy for once that the group collectively, you know, acknowledge, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and again, because of Jackson having this extra insight, he's more aware, you know, and sensitive to what would be the right thing to do in this moment, you yeah. know. Yeah, well, and it's that same insight that brings us to the very end of the episode, which I noted the snow at the beginning where, yeah. you know, there, there, there's the different, uh, cause it's real, <laughs> you know, it's yes. real and it's actual, you know, snowing. It's not ashes from fiery 
spaceships burning up or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. the corpses of the, the, the dead or something. You know, like, it's always yeah. something really sinister. <laughs> so, um, if if we get... So then we get sort of this bookend of differences because then at the end we get the typical invitation to join for Christmas dinner, right? Which yeah. I think has happened each of the Christmas episodes, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe not. No, I guess not with... Um, the Titanic one, the the Voyage of the Damned, maybe there. Yeah, was. I was just trying to think of whether whether Mister Copper invites him anywhere. I don't know that he does. No, I don't think he does because Mister Copper is more like, well, what do I do now? And then, right. then he realizes like, he has money and, and he's happy. Yeah, yeah. He's going right, to go right. buy a house with a garden and whatever. Um, the, the no, no. So I, I mean, guess the it's big, not that the one. Big, the big contrast is really the big contrast is really Christmas Invasion. The doctor getting out of the pajamas into his full gear mm-hmm. and having a big family Christmas dinner with right. the Tylers. And then the reversal of that at the end of The Runaway Bride. Right. When, when he Donna doesn't invites him in. and he says, okay, but then he tries to sneak off. Right. <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, I'm not coming to Christmas dinner. Um, so, yeah. So, but now, again, you get this. Now you get, uh, you know, Jackson saying, uh, you know, come, I'm not even like inviting you. I'm insisting, you know, yeah. that you come yeah. and, and the doctor just this once, you know, you've actually gone and changed my mind. Not many people can do that. And of course it's because we, we know that Jackson knows what his mind is in a way, you know, yeah. or at least has many of the same memories as he does. So it's, you know, yeah. not wholly surprising, but I, I like, you know, again, you get that there's your wholesome moment, right? Like you yeah. were saying at the end of, of they're together, they're, you know, they're not companions in sort of the sense that we've come to know the word companion, but they're more kindred spirits at this point. Yeah. Which is very much that Dickensian Christmas attitude. And that's kind of what is the turning point is the, in memory of those we've lost, that they understand, he understands him, you know? Yeah. And not that, I mean. Well, and Jackson Lake has lost as well, too. Yeah, no, and that's what I was, like, you know, not that, like, other people haven't sincerely meant it or anything, but, like, the fact that they have that in common, I think, makes a difference. Um, I also just want to make sure we acknowledge the doctor's half of that part, because you get this question about, um, you know, I also saw those companions, you know, but not anymore. Why not? Um, Mm, And I love that little sequence of, you know, they leave. Because they should, or they find someone else, and mm. some of them, some of them forget me, and I love how that covers. Yeah. Not, I mean, and I think he's talking about all of them. He's not just talking about the new series, but it does cover Martha, Rose, and Donna. You know, Martha left because she should. You know, Rose is with somebody else, and Donna forgot him, and yeah. so it kind of is acknowledging this sequence of losses that we've yeah. been having. And interestingly. I Interestingly, though, he doesn't sort of mention his own complicity, like leaving people behind. No, no. You know? Um, sure. Yeah, anyway. No, he. I mean, some of it is like, well, they forget me because I made them forget. But like... Right. You know what I mean. And so... And I think it kind of, you know... I think he's answering that question, why not? Why don't you have any more? In the end... I suppose in the end they break my heart and you get this idea that like that's the difficulty of finding the new companion is this is what happens. Mm. They leave or they 
Yeah. You know, or they find someone else or they forget me, you know, whatever, you know, there's always some reason why, why not? Yeah. So, um, hmm. you know, and, think, and that's interesting. Things, I was just... More things to be thinking about as we keep going in the specials. Yeah. I was, you know, just thinking like, you know, why no, at some point we're going to get a new doctor. I guess I wasn't really thinking about who the next companion is going to be. I really have no idea. I, again, you know, I have sort of a vague sense of actors or actresses who play companions, but I don't know who yeah. will be the next one. I don't know which order they are or, or when they're coming. Although, you know, unlike the doctor, I know who the next doctor, the actor playing him will be. I don't know yeah. much about him, but, yeah. you know, I at least have a picture in my head of who that's going to be. I have no idea who the next companion is. And so I guess right. in a way that's just because of that, you know, disparate knowledge, I, I sort of have a different, um, I'm a little more interested to see who the next companion is than who the next doctor is in a way. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, well, um, I think, I think keep that in mind as we go forward is I've brought it up a gajillion times, but I'll keep bringing it up is this sequence of losses and what they all have cumulatively kind of meant um, sure. And and it is, it is wholesome in the end. But also, you have the, the knowledge that after Christmas dinner's over, he's flying off on his own again. That this right. is a temporary bit of, you know, respite, camaraderie. Yeah. 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 Um. So. Uh. You know. Okay. All right. Well, keep that I'll, in mind. I'll keep that in mind. All right. Anything we did not we, say anything about Miss Hardigan. I was just going to say, <laughs> do we need to? I mean, the doctor. Yeah, I don't know that we the, do. The doctor tries to save her. She doesn't want to be saved. No. Okay. Nope. We're good. Um, so nope. on that okay. on that note, we should move on to our recap of Buffy season three. We should do that. Um. um we well, didn't really. We didn't really talk about this but i do just want to make two quick things yeah. before we go into our favorite episodes um one is that so we, we talk a lot about awards for doctor who i finally can sort of mention now that we have some awards to, to talk about um nominations anyway um so this was so he, the difficulty uh was trying to figure out how much this applied to season three versus season four, but for, or actually I guess season two and season three, it was not this, uh, Buffy was nominated for the 1998 Saturn award for best network TV series. Mm. Um, so 1998 covers sort of the last half of season two and the first half of season three. Um, the way those awards work, that may be more weighted towards season two, just because by the time you get the nominations and everything in, but, We'll go ahead and mention that now that that at least yeah. we're seeing, you know, some critical stuff uh, yeah. going into the season. Also, I wanted to mention that uh, not too long ago, Joss Whedon listed, uh, you know, his own top 10 favorite episodes of Buffy. And two of those are in this season. Um, and considering there's seven seasons, that's, you know, kind of interesting that there's two of them. Uh, in, yeah, it's in a the pretty top good. 10. It's, a, it's a good, good showing. Percentage, yeah. Um, yeah. 
So, uh, and they are the two Wishverse episodes, uh, The Wish and Doppelgangland, mm. uh, which made it into, into Joss's own top 10. So um, we may nice. be talking about those a little bit later. But, <laughs> um, why don't we start out with, uh, as we usually do, what your favorite episode is? Okay. Well, I'm, as much as I like uh, and even love The Wish and Doppelgangland, I'm gonna put one slightly ahead of them um i really really enjoyed bazeppo um mm -hmm. and actually i uh felt like i hadn't watched it in a while so i watched it again this weekend just because oh, okay. i knew this was coming up and it was like i better refresh my memory um and i enjoyed it just as much you know what is that the third time now or something um so uh i i, th I think there's two kind of main things i mean i just love the the self-referential, self-deprecatingness of it, mm -hmm. you know, that, like, the comedy surrounding the send-ups of all the normal Buffy tropes right. just works really, really well. And, like, I just love the way that it doesn't even start out that ridiculous. It kind of starts out like a normal episode, and then it just builds and builds and builds into right. this, like crazy kind of comedic farce by the end of people like running around through the school with axes and crossing over paths yeah. and like and you, you have know, no idea what they're no doing no idea what's going, what's going on yeah and like the buffy plot you start you know knowing that there's this cult you know that they're trying to bring about the apocalypse but the further the episode goes on that plot just goes way further leaves you in the dust so mm -hmm. by the time you get to the end you don't even have the slightest clue what happened, right. you know, and you end with all those great references to, yeah, they'll never know what we did and right. everything. And Giles, um, you know, is the bravest thing I ever saw anyone yeah, do, you know, like this over saw. the top sort of declarations. Yeah, 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 and and when it's when its face was revealed, its real face, I mean, you know, like all those little <laughs> teases to again with the teasing. I like I like when writers play with the audience like that mm -hmm. um that it it kind of tickles my funny bone and it also kind of sets my imagination going you know this is like this is the stuff that fanfic is made of it's like the stuff that gets you thinking like well what could it be yeah. what happened all that stuff um and well, also, in a way it almost is fanfic of well, its own it, you know what i it mean it is like, yeah yeah um, um and it and it and it is uh a send up of its own kind of mm -hmm. epicness, you well, know? Yeah. Right. And it works on multiple layers because, you know, Buffy in general, we've talked about from the beginning is sort of playing with, you know, common tropes of horror and, and teen, you know, high school stuff. Uh, yeah. So this is like, yeah, this is, you know, all the things that we've, that have become Buffy-ish, I guess, over the last, yeah, you yeah. know, two and a half seasons or whatever. Yeah. Like, now this is making fun of all of those and sort of subverting its own, everything you know, sort of... You, uh, everything you've come to take for granted mm -hmm. as what goes... The, the normal ingredients of a Buffy episode gets thrown... You know, it's everything from, uh, you know, Buffy and Angel's, you know, sort of half angry half you know sexy kind of fight with each other and, <laughs> yeah getting you know, interrupted by xander uh... yeah getting <laughs> you know and, and uh you know giles getting nowhere with the spirit guides and mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. um 
faith being really sort of like, you know, violent and sexed up and, and the way, like, you know, her kind of, and that whole scene of like, Xander turns up and they like have no connection. Like you don't think of Faith and Xander as having any, right? you know, like real, but then like they turn it around to have this like huge character turning moment and then he just gets kicked out again and you're right back into like the comedy like it just throws you between all these different tones and scenes and everything and like Mm -hmm. and again like i really love the inner cutting of all that so like you get the epic sweeping music and then the little with xander the do 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 like the little like yeah yeah the way the music kind of hops along with him and like yeah, it's just, it's hilarious. Like, I love that, I think that, that, the jarringness of the shift between all those different things is what makes it right. so funny. Right. Um, but, like, on a less, you know, so, besides the fact that I'm, like, smiling my whole way through the episode, um, you get, like, it's nice to get, like, a real focus on Xander as the mm-hmm. character, too. And I like the way that it let him take the spotlight and even be cool in a way that he kind of hadn't been before. Right. Um, and you get, but, but it's not cool in the like way that Xander tries to be cool. It's like the, the fact that what he does is unacknowledged by the group at the end, that mm-hmm. no one will ever know what he did, but he right. knows what he did and we know what he did, you know? Right. And so right. he gets to save the day, but not in a, not in the way the kind of self-focused way that he would normally hope, but just sort of quietly, you know, it kind of lets him mature a little bit, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where we're supposed to be by the end of the episode. And I think it, it's important just, you know, thinking of it and, and sort of the placement, it's kind of, it's, almost halfway or, or right about halfway through it's the season like right about halfway um yeah. and 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 you get it as a turning point specifically for xander where by the end of the season he's key guy right he gives i'm key guy right you know so yeah. and 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 leading you know at least one front of the attack against the mayor and and those who are trying yeah. to to kill them so um which i don't think we would quite believe that if we didn't have an episode like the Zeppo. So you, yeah. you, I think it's important for Xander's character. Not, not, it's not just like, I agree. It's nice to sort of get, I mean, Xander is a fun character and, and mm-hmm. we like it when, when we do sort of get the, the focuses um, on, you know, people who aren't Buffy, <laughs> even though we like Buffy and, and, you know, we certainly, I mean, that's her show. So she should get most of the focus. Yeah. You know, and it's the same reason Dr. Light is enjoyable. It's, it's right. just a nice refresher. Right. It's not that we don't enjoy the main course, but it's a nice kind and, of like side thing. And it gives these other characters, uh, you know, you know, a little more ability to grow on their own as well. You know, while, while we want to see Buffy sort of grow and become better at doing what she does, like it's, it's nice to see those around her too. Also sort of, it it's because she's so good at what she does that Xander in a way kind of feels left out. And so it's nice to see him sort of get that moment of, you know, being able to sort of rise above, not just the petty comments from Cordelia, but yeah. from, you know, his sort of uh, ennui at, not being 
strong or resourceful or, you know, whatever we find out actually in your own way, you kind of are, you know, those things, just not quite the way we would expect from someone like Buffy or even Willow, who's very smart, you know, he's, he's got to sort of come into his own. So, yeah. Um, and again, I think that has some prominence, uh, or, or importance for, you know, especially the end, you know, where he's leading those attacks against, you know, the vampires and the mayor and, and stuff. Yeah. Um, or well, the demon that the mayor becomes or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Good episode. I approve. Not that you need it. I just, I do. (laughs) Um, so my, I actually picked two episodes and we've done this with Dr. Who, but not, I don't think, well, maybe with Buffy we have there, two because there, there are some two-parters. But there's a two-part up. This um, is cheating a this, little bit. <laughs> this is a two-part, but it's not a back-to-back two-part, right? No, uh, no, and it's I'm, not really a two-part episode. It's just one is like a is almost a sequel to the other, I guess. Yeah. So I'm choosing together the Wish and Doppelgangland, where we get Vamp Willow and. Um, you know the the wish verse uh one where where we get it sort of created and we have cordelia going over from our universe into this bizarro world and then vice versa in doppelgangland where we have willow coming into uh our world or or you know the normal buffy world whatever you want to call that um and so i actually did not remember that Joss had picked these. So I'm not just like mirroring him uh, to pick, but I just think they're really good episodes. I, they are, yeah. I think um, similar reasons. I think we, you know, if it's not obvious by now, we tend to have similar tastes. <laughs> so I think I would pick these for similar I reasons. I think we do. I think we do tend to like, and, and again, this is not at all to say that we don't enjoy the more, traditional kinds of episodes or that those can't have challenging ideas in them. But the theme of that I sense as we do these things every season is I think we tend to like the ones which are a little bit more unusual that they, they, they mess with the format somehow, you know, they do something that it's like, it's, it's unlike any other episode, I guess. Like there's something about it, which makes it sort of unique and unusual. Yeah. Yep. Anyway. And uh no, I I think that's all right. Um so you get so with the wish you get, you know, um Cordy sort of wishing that that Buffy had never been in Sunnydale because, you know, this is after she sort of recovers from um the physical and emotional hurt around her breakup with Xander and that kind of thing and and yeah. um you know, and, and we, you know, not to go through it all, but I, I just like that you do get those, you know, again, those sort of um, uh, 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 subversions of, you know, oh, you know, you think that in the episode it's going to be, you know, Cordelia spends the episode only, you know, to at the end realize that maybe it would have been better with Buffy yeah. around. But no, she realizes that like almost immediately. Five She's minutes like, in. You know yeah. what? I was wrong. This yeah. sucks. Yeah. Where's Buffy? Why isn't yeah. she here doing what she's supposed to be doing? Yeah. Um, and, and all that. And also, as you pointed out, I sort of, I didn't intentionally mislead you. I, I do still think that the wish is kind of a Cordy focused episode, but you were right to point out that there are 
I mean, she dies fairly early, or about midway yeah. through the episode. So, yeah. Yeah, well, and know. I would have, I would have found that surprising, even if you hadn't said anything to. I think that's just what you expect is mm-hmm. that that is going to be the journey of the characters. It's going to culminate with her learning something, you know. But right. that's that's very like the Zeppo too. It's like taking what you think you know about a Buffy story and undercutting it and subverting it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you get, you know, you get these sort of, um, you know, we talked about sort of the vicariousness of being able to kill off all of your major characters yeah. without really killing them off. Yeah. Talk um, about writer sadism. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and also um, sort of, cause you get these hints too of, um, other things that come later in the season from some of the minor characters. You get um, Larry, who's part of the White Hats, right? Um, and yeah. you get um, Jonathan sort of in the mix there too and whatever. So like, you know, uh, there's uh, and, and Harmony, you know, and they're talking with Cordy. And I'm trying to think if there are any other episodes besides those and um, Graduation Day Part 2 where all three of those minor characters appear, in the same episode. And, and I, I haven't looked that up cause I'm just sort of thinking about that now, but they, oh. all three of them appear in that, in the wish yeah. and they all appear in graduation day part two. Yeah. So it's kind of like and, a nice little bit of foreshadowing of, yeah. of how they're all going to come together. And yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you do good. sort of get these, um, little hints, uh, you get the return of the master and, uh, you know, sort of, his effect and you get to see Xander and Willow as vampires and, and, um, you know, uh, some stuff there. Uh, you get the introduction of Anya who, yeah, I've said to you, I don't remember if I've said this on the podcast or not. Um, she develops not in season three, but at some point, (laughs) you know, along the way, she sort of develops into one of my favorite characters. So, uh, in the entire series. So I, I, you know, I'll say now that originally this was the only episode that she was supposed to be in. Um, Joss liked the wish so much that he wrote Doppelgangland because I think, uh, I don't know if you remember Marty Noxon actually wrote the wish um, directed by David Greenwald, but then uh, Joss actually wrote and directed, I believe directed um, Doppelgangland. So uh, you know, okay. he, he, he liked those characters so much. Yeah. He directed as well. He, he liked those characters so much that, that Marty and David, you know, sort of brought to life, um, that he used them again. And then, you know, we see Anya returning, um, you know, later explicitly because of that introduction and, and, you know, wanting, so, I mean, just thinking about that, the fact that the wish, you know, it's episode nine of the season and it's, you know, just like spike in, in, uh, season two, you know, it's, he was supposed to die like halfway through the season, but he was such right. a popular character that he comes back and even comes back in season three. Um, you know, so, yeah, you know, really, really cool stuff. And, and I like how that sort of worked out because it's, there is some sort of unexpected stuff. Um, and then in Doppelgangland, um, you know, the wish you have Cordy, but she dies, right? So it's, it's really the only people who are seeing kind of the effects of all that as us, the audience um, yeah. in Doppelgangland. Now you get to have dark willow. Who's yeah. only part of that 
wish verse, but, you know, sort of a significant part, you know, coming in and you get to see. Probably the most of all the different versions of the characters of all the doppelgangers in the wish. She's probably Mm -hmm. the most different from her, from her. So it makes sense that that was the one that really that that Joss would want to bring back, you know, and have a whole other story with because, yeah, she has the biggest contrast between right. her two separate personas, I think. Right. Um, yeah, no, I, I definitely think so. And um, so I won't, uh, let's see, I, I you know, Doppelgangland um, didn't have the highest uh, viewership of the season, but I think it's like the third, you know, like third highest of the season. Um, and and yeah. you have to wonder if that's partly because of the wish and, you know, you hear, Oh, you know, there's going to be more of this kind of thing. And, and um, so, yeah, you know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's word just of, word of mouth kind con- of catches conjecture up on my yeah. part, but, but, you know, yeah. pretty, pretty good viewership and, and some pretty strong, uh, you know, stuff going on there. Um, yeah. And, and of course you get that again, you know, like the Zeppo is more focused on, Xander, you get the wish or sorry, Doppelgangland is, is more focused on Willow and, yeah. and um, you, you know, just sort of love that line, you know, uh, when dark, the, sorry, vamp Willow says, uh, you know, this world's no fun. And, and our yeah. Willow says, Oh, you noticed that too. Noticed that right. Too. So, you know, it's just that, that heartbreak of just like Xander has to sort of come to terms with what he is and, and what's going on in his life. You get that same sort of journey with yeah. Willow here. Um, and, and you'd have to come sort of out the other end, just enjoying who she is because, uh, you know, because of her sort of affection for her own evil twin, you know, kind of of thing. So, yeah, her, yeah, her, her willingness to see the best, even in her evil doppel, her evil twin, her evil doppelganger is just great, you know? So, um, so yeah, so those, those are my picks of, you know, many others I could choose. And as we sort of go into talking about the season in general, I wanted to bring up that there are a lot of people who consider season three to be the strongest season of Buffy. Um, You get a lot of, you know, some of that sort of inherent with the graduation sort of themes, especially with the last, uh, I don't know, six episodes or so. I think pretty much everything after Doppelgangland is like, so focused on sort of mythological arc and bringing yeah, yeah. closure, even earshot, which is kind of, you know, almost a monster of the week is setting up, like we've talked about, you know, sets yeah. up stuff in the prom and graduation day. And, and yeah, really... well, so much about the student body and, you know, mm-hmm. even, even the monster um, is within that. So it is yeah. setting up the prom and the graduation and everything. Um, and, and all the stuff between faith and Buffy, like even actually going back to bad girls and consequences and enemies, you know, uh, leading right up into the last, you know, you're talking now like what, eight, nine episodes, <laughs> you know? So uh, just, just really some strong stuff. Uh, and it's, I think the thing for me where I sort of went with those other ones that were a little more one off or whatever is that is almost because there's such that strong arc and character development, whatever, like it's almost hard to separate out the stories of bad girls, consequences, enemies, choices, yeah. the prom, you know, like they all just flow one right into the other, to the other, to the other. Yeah. 
Um, and there's some good stuff in the early seasons too, you know, early part of the season too. Um, uh, you know, you get introduction of faith, you know, faith, hope, and trick, and you get homecoming, which of course, you know, I've written about, so I've of (laughs) course loved that one, right? You know, I have to sort of say that, but no, it's, it is a good one. Um, you get helpless with Buffy turning 18 and, and the, you know, uh, darker side of the watcher's council, you know, and, and, and Giles is being, um, well, right, you the know, firing, which sets it. up Wesley and yep. that whole, yeah. Yeah, so, um, you yeah. know, so there is, I mean, it's a really strong season, and there's a lot of people who, who think that it's sort of the tip-top. Um, I've stated it before. I'll say it again. I sort of disagree with the the, the broad popular view. Um, I will say that I think this is the most even season um, Mm. in quality. Um, And in that, like, I think there are fewer sort of stinkers. Um, Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe dead man's party is kind of like my least favorite one like that. You know, Buffy's dealing with just coming back and okay, there's zombies and blah, blah, blah. So like, it's okay, but there's some really good stuff in it. That's not to say it's a bad episode or anything um but you know overall there's just a lot of really solid episodes in this yeah no and you know what i have seen people on twitter or what i try not to read you know try not to read too much of the kind of stuff because i don't want to bias my own opinion you know sure um but uh i think i have seen reference to that of of someone saying you know there really isn't a weak link in season three and that's you know, pretty accurate. I mean, I can't say yeah. until I see the rest of the seasons, you know. Right, right. And you I know, and maybe maybe those are different things. Like a season which has, you know, no weak links, you know, is, you know, obviously of quality, but you know, I think you know, even like if I think about like Doctor Who, usually there's usually at least one or two that are like, nah, you know. Sure. Um, there are no, like, every, and maybe that's why there's less of a consensus about which ones are the best because you can kind of point to any season and look at, in every season there's a class, at least a couple absolute classics and one or two, you know, not. <laughs> yeah. So, like, so maybe, maybe the later seasons are more uneven, but that doesn't necessarily, you know, even a season which is, might have a couple stinkers doesn't mean that it doesn't have a good overall narrative quality. And sometimes a really great bunch of episodes makes up for a few low points, you know? Right, right. But definitely, I think, I think we've seen this season so far get stronger and stronger, like both in terms of like, the narrative cohesion, like mm-hmm. you were talking about how they the the story flows from one to the next and you get like a really consistent arc. Right. You know, or several over the course right. of the season. But also individually the episodes have got stronger. Yeah. Like they're more even in quality as individual pieces, you yeah. know. And um, and I would I say think that's that, definitely true. I would say that that's probably 
without sort of prejudicing, hopefully, I would say that that's probably true because, you know, we are going to talk about Angel as well. And the reality is that now, starting with season four, Joss has two shows. And when you get into later seasons of Buffy, you start getting into the period where he's starting to produce Firefly, too. Right. You know, so right. so you get maybe reasons for why this one is so tightly uh, sort of arced and, and, and plotted out. Um, and, and why it sort of makes sense that there are a lot of, you know, episodes, especially again, that, you know, back half of the season where they just flow one right into the other almost seamlessly. Uh, yeah. so, you know, I'm, I guess I'm saying that I understand why people say that, but keep an open mind as to, you know, if we can sort of withhold our judgment, um, and, and maybe, yeah listen to alternative arguments um, going into these other seasons because it would be a real shame to say, Oh, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> What's kind of the point yeah. of that? You know, let's, let's have an open yeah. mind. Um, yeah. So yeah. anyway, yeah. Uh, on uh, to, well, I certainly do. I'm kind of interested because I have heard that argument, not just by you, but from uh, other people. Um, yeah. I'm kind of interested to see where I land on that debate um sure and maybe and i'm open to the i i happily invite contradiction i'm i'm the person who says i love davies and moffat equally in different ways you know like Mm -hmm. them being good at different things doesn't mean i like one more than the other you know and that's kind of like maybe different seasons can be good in different ways yeah you know um, I'm certainly open to that being true, you know, um, it doesn't necessarily yeah. have to be a better or worse, you know, like we talked about with the graduation, some things are lost, but some things are gained when you sure. change things sure. and, and try something new. So, and, and, and I haven't really mentioned it before, but I, I think I've already mentioned that Marty Noxon becomes the, uh, the showrunner in season six and seven. Of yeah. Buffy. I think I did know um, that. Yeah. I think I think I mentioned that way back in sort of our introductory episode. Mm-hmm. Um, the there's a similar sort of thing there. So you talk about sort of the Russell Davies uh, era and the Stephen Moffat era of Doctor yeah. Who. There's very much a similar sort of debate in mm. in the Buffy world of you know did Marty Noxon ruin the show or did she save it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like like. And it, These and poor showrunners who just yeah, get harassed like on Twitter. <laughs> no middle ground, you know. It's like either right. she's the never best the, thing who ever happened to Never the twain it. shall meet, yeah. You're right, or, yeah. or, you know, she's the worst thing that ever yeah. came about. So That sounds familiar. That sounds ugh, yeah. sickeningly familiar. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I yeah. mean, but we've got, you know, well, I we've got another to, year of podcasts before we get to I look forward to picking to a side in three years' time. Yeah. <laughs> Or liking them equally. Or liking them equally for different reasons. Mm -hmm. Yes. Anyway. So. Well, okay. Getting back to, yeah. Talk about some of what makes this season so good. Um, So, I guess let's just run through, do we want to start with the characters or do we want to talk about like big thematic stuff? Well, you know, I was thinking about that because like there are big thematic things obviously that happen, but, but I think even just in sort of what, you know, by evidence of our favorite episodes, they're heavily character focused. And I think that that's sort of the 
biggest theme, right, is yeah. the development of yourself, the, 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 the graduation, right? That's the culmination of the, of the thing. It's that moment where you become ready to go out into the world and have sort of, you know, proven your mettle, so to speak, and, and are ready to face the big wide world beyond high school. Um, or at least as ready as you'll ever be (laughs) to face all that. And I think, you know, just looking at, um, you know, through the episodes, you, you get some of that again, right from the beginning, you get Anne where you have Buffy being out on her own, maybe a little too early, maybe not quite ready to be. And that's why she comes back, but she, she does have to sort of face the realities of what life is like beyond the, realm of Sunnydale and beyond the walls of the high school and and all of that. Um, You know, I think with like homecoming, you get this, you you know, you get this idea of, again, sort of, you know, Buffy is not quite back to her own, uh, her, her desires. I mean, she always wants to sort of have the normal high school experience, but I think even by this early part of season three, you know, she's starting to realize that she's a slayer and she's always going to be different, but you do get the sense of, you know, I am something more than just this one thing that, you know, that people try to try to define me by, um, you know, I can be a homecoming queen. Of course she doesn't, but you know what I mean? Like she gives it the old high school try anyway. Um, and, and you know, that sort of thing. Um, right after that, you know, you follow on band candy where you have this, this idea of um, people who are supposed to be adults are really still sort of kids at heart and aren't any more responsible maybe than the people that they're overseeing, the younger people that they're overseeing. Right. Um, Right. um, Yeah. I hadn't, I'd kind of forgotten about that episode, but that does tie into this idea of maturing and graduating and stuff like seeing them by contrast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you get the individual episodes of, of the wish and double gangland and the Zeppo that we talked about already that focus more on the developments of individual characters. Cause even, even though it's not Cordy focused, I still will say that the wish, you know, it's that revelation, even though it's early on of, Oh, actually Buffy is yeah. necessary here. And yeah, she forgets that because at the end of the episode, it goes right back to the moment where she's making the wish and she doesn't actually experience any of that. Yeah. But, but you still get that sense of, it's something that she knows. Well, yeah. You get that. You get that with Cordy. Cause you get her, even when she's sworn them off because she's angry, you know, or even when she goes back to being like snarky and less cooperative and stuff, you still, you know, I never, got the sense that oh Cordy's reverted back to her old way of like not like you still not completely yeah. especially yeah. with Buffy you still get right. that sense of she's yeah she doesn't want to be around them all the time yeah she's not maybe quite as in the group as she was before but she still seems as supportive in the general sense yeah. like when Buffy needs something it's generally Cordy is saying okay yeah. Can I help? What, and, you know, like, you know, whether whether voluntarily or begrudgingly, she never really resists that. Like, I forget mm-hmm. what episode. Is it helpless when Buffy yes. says, can I have a ride? And she just, of course, like yeah, without yeah. even. 
Like right. it's it doesn't even need to be stated. It's just a given. Yeah. No, I um, I thought of that same exact scene actually as you were just talking. Yeah. So I I think that that's yeah that's absolutely right. Like even though I mean, Cordy is clearly pissed at Xander, and for good reason. I mean, yeah. you know. Yeah. You know, we've talked about all that. that no, and no reason she should want to go back to the way things were before. Um, um, but but there is that moment in Helpless. You're absolutely right. And there's, um, I would also think of even just like, you know, like when she comes in uh, in graduation day uh, and, and she's like, you know, I need an explanation, you know, about what? Wesley, you know. Oh, I forget even what Xander yeah. says exactly. But, you know, but then it's the, the hey, we're you know, trying to save the world. Do you want to help us? You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and even then she's sort of earnest and, and you get the sense like, yeah, she's asking about Wesley because she's sort of interested in him or whatever, but, but also she, she just sort of drops the attitude, right. And just says, just tell me what's going on. Like yeah, you, you yeah. can, you can sort of hear in her voice that, that sort of plaintiveness of, yeah, she used to be part of the group to where she was always in the know and she still kind of wants to be there. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. Um, and she yeah, does help and out and it's genuine. It's not right. Well, tell me what's going on because I'm pissed off. It's, it's, you know, that kind of more like she's the intimate part of the group that she is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, in graduation, her support of Buffy's plan, even though she thinks it's crazy, right. you know, it, it like, even though, well, it's the craziest plan that I can think of, but Buffy knows what she's doing, so mm-hmm. we have to go with it, you know? And there's really yeah. no question or argument about that. Right, um, right. Um, I would also say that, you know, sort of along... So those are all sort of the, the individual character developments, but then you also get, like, the interrelational developments, right? You get... Especially, you know, on the romantic side, starting early on with Beauty and the Beasts, right? Yeah. You get you get the, um, oh, that might actually, hmm, I don't know, that one in Dead Man's Party, maybe sort of tied between <laughs> the weak links. The weak link. Well, the the weaker. I I don't think either of them are really bad though. You know what no, I mean? Like, no, like they're still decent episodes. They're just yeah. kind of, um, yeah. Well, it's like every something has to be the weakest. Doesn't sure. mean it's weak. Right. You know. Um. Relatively speaking. But yeah, so you get, you know, you get Beauty and the Beast and sort of this, you know, what's, where's the line between, um, you know, abusive and, and, uh, you know, codependent relationship (laughs) really drawn, uh, you know, after that you get, you get lover's walk where you have all of these hurt feelings and the, pain and growth that comes out of, you know, uh, uh, infidelity and, and all of that. Um, you get, yeah. uh, amends. Well, oh, and, uh, uh, oh, where, where is it that, uh, uh, Spike comes in too, right? And gives his whole speech. Is that, is that lover's walk? That's lover's walk. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and and so you get uh you know him sort of telling Buffy and Angel that you're you know grow up you're never gonna be just friends right like yeah, this yeah. is this is part of it um yeah know, that's it, kind of the beginning of the end for <laughs> um you and and then you get a couple episodes later you get amends where they are sort of acknowledging that they need each other you know it's it's 
you know, Angel's sort of at his lowest point um, mm. and having to deal with his problems. Um, you also get the return of Jenny Calendar in the form of uh, right. the first evil. But, uh, you know, so so again, you know, this theme of relationship and, and coming together and, and being more mature than just, you know, a couple of love craze teenagers, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, you know, and then, and then, uh, I guess, you know, the, the relationship there sort of develops, but, but then getting to the point where you have, um, in those last, you know, few episodes, uh, you know, like in the prom where, where Angel is sort of realizing that he can't stay with Buffy and you get, um, well, you get before that, you get, uh, the mayor and choices talking about. Yeah. The opposite of what Spike is saying. Not the opposite, but sort of the flip coin, right? The the you can never be just friends, but you can also never be lovers. Not right. truly, not wholly. So right. where does that leave you? Um and then the prom where, where Angel breaks up with Buffy and, and all of that and finally his leaving in graduation day. And and, you know, those growing pains of relationship and, and being whatever you also get the relationships of friendship, you know, and, and I think there's a strong argument for this whole season being about, you know, the gelling together of the Scoobies, but also mm-hmm. of, um, you know, the school as a whole and, and you get those payoffs. So, so again, going back, I guess my holy trifecta, right. Of earshot, the prom and graduation day part two of the, the, the empathy of recognizing that everybody is sort of going through the same thing, maybe not in the specifics, but in the general, um, the recognition in the prom that Buffy, you know, is noticed is, appreciated and then in graduation day where she's able to sort of turn that appreciation into um you know a cohesive unit that fights against the the you know ascending demon and and everyone who would try to kill them all so that you know i think i would even say it goes back to like homecoming right where you have buffy proving that she can be someone who is noticed and can get votes and can be out there making friends, yeah. uh, you know, unlike what Cordy says in that episode where she's like, no, you know, stop pretending. Well, she's not, she's actually out there and, yeah. and, and trying to get people to like her and notice her, maybe not quite in the right way. Her motives there aren't quite as noble as in graduation day, but yeah, you know, yeah. like, but you know, I, I would say that that theme goes right back to that um contrasted with like dead man's party where people don't even know who she is and who's the party's for well that was gonna be what i was thinking of was like the big setup that's almost the bookend with uh yeah. with the with the prom i guess and with graduation day is um yeah like because in that it's not like it's the i can think of other episodes earlier on where like there are vampire attacks with, like, a large amount of students nearby. It's not like that's the first incident of, like, a group, Mm -hmm. you know, supernatural attack or anything, but there was something about that that felt different, that felt more like... That's, I think, when 
you started to get more of this, it can't just be explained away by, like, a gas leak yeah. or something. Yeah. Like, it, it felt more like the the community was more overtly involved. Mm-hmm. And, and you start this thing of having something which you kind of realize in retrospect, they're working towards paying off because mm-hmm. you start to have people noticing things but not quite outright acknowledging it. Like... Mm-hmm. I mean, most recently, like, when Buffy climbs up the building in earshot, you know, and, and kids are seeing and watching her, and one girl is saying, I could do that and everything. But, like, nobody actually says, like, well, holy crap, how did you just do that? You know, I feel like that kind of way of being really got kicked off with Dead Man's Party, where, like, yeah, yeah it is all the party and zombies attack and we go into like defensive fortification mode and there's but like it's never brought up again like right right that kind of the the irony of that but like like you're saying too like also the buffy being completely anonymous among her classmates and the way the season starts with they don't know her name. They don't know whose house they're at. They don't care whose party it is. Nobody mm-hmm. has any idea. And how different that is from this kind of, again, like that corporate acknowledgement by the time we get to the prom. Mm-hmm. Um, that they don't know anything about her, but they do know her name, at least. And they know that she's the one who's been protecting them all this time. So Right, right, right. Um, and, and again, just the fact that it's Jonathan, right. Who's been, (laughs) you know, uh, sort of, we've seen him sort of be saved more than any other, at least of the minor characters, uh, you know, uh, along the way. So, um, some good stuff, good stuff there. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess just sort of on all of that. So, I mean, we've sort of worked through most of the characters, I think anything specific to like sort of the, the heroes or their, you know, the Scoobies themselves, um, that Um, you wanted to bring up. Well, I mean, I guess too, like with these changing and maturing relationships too, I think like there is that kind of nice, nice different contrast between all the different relationships. You know, you have the very, you know, all the kind of, drama that goes with Buffy and Angel, you know, um, like the kind of heightened drama of that Mm -hmm. versus, you know, the more ordinary relationships of Willow and Oz or Cordy and Xander. And then I like too the way that, you know, because as they're approaching graduation and college and maturity and all these things, you get, again, the contrast between Xander's first sexual experience versus willow and oz Mm -hmm. you know and then like the the kind of uh well xander kind of his two combined really you know like one the kind of quick hollow cheapness of the first and then the danger of the second yeah you know um and you contrasted with willow and oz who i forget what episode it is early on it's after lover's walk when Willow kind of suggests that they, you know, that she wants to have sex with Oz, as, almost as kind of a, a an apology, you know, and yeah. 
Right, and, and you Oz, get sort of an echo of of like when she wanted to make out with him. Yeah, to, which to is called Xander back jealous. to that. And both times he, both <laughs> times he kind of says no. You know, this isn't the right time. This isn't mm-hmm. the right way. You know, but you do get the right time by the end of the season. You know, right. and so again, like the contrast between the two. You know, mm-hmm. and I I kind of like that. Like they're showing, it, it's not all. And then all of that contrasted with Buffy and Angel, which right. is like a whole other, you know, ball right. of wax, you know? So right. well, it's you see... kind of nice to see like all of these different ways that, you know, the maturity is being presented, I guess. Well, and I like it's that. It's not just one thing. Right. So, and you get that sort of the, um, you know, they're, they're sort of stereotypical of, of the most common perhaps relationship you sort of see, right? You, you, you see the couples who are always fighting and always, you know, yeah, we're on again, off again, whatever, which is kind of, you know, the Buffy and angel, <laughs> you know, yeah. thing. And you see, you know, the people who just have like the one night stands or the, you know, whatever, or who are in sort of the more, um, uh, destructive, <laughs> you know, sort of things and don't really notice it. Um, yeah. And then you see, uh, uh, you know, the ones where there are, you know, relationships that just do sort of weather the storm. And yes, there was problems, you know, between Oz and Willow and and whatever, but they realize that their love sort of together is more important. And, And you see them even, you know, I just love that scene when Oz comes in, you know, after, uh, I forget which episode it is. Is it, is it immense or I don't remember anyway, but when Oz comes in and it's just like, look, I can't not be with you anymore. Right. Like it, it hurts too much to, to not be with you. So I would like to try again. I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know what's going to happen, but all I know, want know is that I want to spend time with you and you just, you know, by the end they're spending even more time and, whatever together yeah. so it's 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 a nice it's a nice sort of um, well it, it's nice because um like i mean literally the same thing happens to both couples you know because it's willow and xander that right get together and and you know damage their respective relationships but it kind of gives like a nice realism to it that that they don't handle it the same way you mm-hmm. know and i'm not saying like one is right and the other's wrong you know like obviously it depends on the people and the situation and everything you know it's not like yeah. it's not like cordy's wrong to break up with xander or vice versa that willow and oz are wrong to give it another shot it's just it it does depend on the personalities and the circumstances and different people make different decisions um so you kind of get to see the same event have very different effects depending on who it is that's going through it and everything. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so good stuff there. Yeah. Um, well, and we forgot the other relationship, Giles and Joyce. Um, of course. <laughs> the, the yeah. yeah, mistaken teenage, yeah transgressions yeah. uh that they have yeah so, and all the awkwardness which ensues yeah yeah 
Um, and which returns later when Buffy finds out about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so in the last few minutes here, before we sort of jump into angel, uh, introduction, uh, the bad guys. So yeah. we didn't leave enough time to talk about it all, but I yeah. think, I think, you know, so the mayor, you know, there's definitely a culmination here because like you've mentioned before, we get, we've been getting mentions about the mayor since season one, I think even, or at least like that there's some yeah. bigger, you know, thing going on in Sunnydale and, and the It's definitely people hints that there was something kind of systemic, like that there was some kind of low level government cover up of mm-hmm. some sort, you know? So right. that I think even in season one, you yeah. know? Yeah. Right. Where we get Snyder and his the police being involved. And and, stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, so, of course, and so in this season, we have the revelation that the mayor is basically the one who founded Sunnydale, all yeah. sort of working towards this, um, you know, culmination, which we finally see. And, um, yeah. you know, so sort of, yeah, sort of maybe it's maybe it's some retconning, but kind of gives some legitimacy to why we you know like we've been talking about from the beginning, there's these sort of levels of knowledge because things yeah. are being covered up because yeah. Yeah. you know he has been sort of cultivating people for a long time um, and why anyone would found a town on this hellish place <laughs> right right um and why would anyone move there? Well, it's because yeah. you know the mayor is in his own way, he's nice and sort of charismatic a bit and um you know, comes from a political dynasty of himself, you know, like <laughs> I love that his, you know, he's mayor Richard Wilkins, the third, but it's just himself, you know, yeah, again, that's, over and over again. Right. Who's, who's yeah. Anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, other than sort of, sort of seeing all that and seeing, you know, sort of wondering what is the ascension and, you know, how does it play out? And then starting sort of getting to see that. What what other sort of things do you want to uh, talk about with the mayor? Any anything jump into mind? Um, I don't know that I have anything else that I uh, kind of haven't said already. I mean, I was doing. You sent me that interview with the actor. Um, yes. So that was interesting to see um, some insights from where he was coming from, that he definitely was approaching it from um, both a villain and also a loving parent and kind of trying to keep both in mind at the same time, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I don't quite know. I don't think I'm opposed to the idea of villains having feelings. (laughs) Um, okay. Yeah. I don't think that's 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 not a problem for me. There was always something about the mayor that made that difficult for me to believe. Sure. Um, and even in the end, I think it, just the way he comes off is as untrustworthy. You know, which he is a villain, so you know, I don't know what else to say other than that. So, you know, I kind of, you know, I guess can acknowledge that that's what the actor and the writer and everybody was going for. You know, I don't know that that it's not to the extent that I ever really felt a whole lot of 
either like any sort of real sympathy for him. Yeah. You know, even even at his most caring of faith. Um because yeah. I think I just felt like he's he may think he cares for her but he's just leading her further and further down this path to sure. destruction and everything. So, I don't know. I mean, I don't know, maybe those aren't necessarily they don't have to be contradictory things. He can genuinely feel this way and he can genuinely be a really bad guy, you know, <laughs> that those aren't like mutually exclusive mm -hmm. states. So I think I've kind of made my peace with that, that I'm somewhere, I kind of acknowledge the affection, but I don't know that, that it, it doesn't go a whole lot further for me than acknowledging it. Um, yeah. No. And so. in one sense, you're right. I mean, that even though he may have affection for faith, he's still trying to become this ascended demon, which presumably would want to eat and kill everyone in town, including faith. If she's still around, because we see, you know, one of the things that I think maybe supports your point is where we see the mayor con not congratulating, but sort of uh, uh, praising or, or commending um, Snyder for, the work yeah. that he's done and saying, you know, you'll, right. you'll be paid in full come, you know, yeah. graduation yeah. day or whatever. Well, how is he paid in full? He gets eaten, yeah. you know? Yeah. So like, yeah. like, you know, I don't think we're necessarily led to believe that the mayor has the same level of feeling towards Snyder, but it is someone who's ostensibly an ally of, yeah. you know, the mayor and who is promised some kind of reward and yeah. then completely turned against. So, I think yeah. I think you're right is in questioning sort of like even if he does have genuine feeling for faith, is that sort of undercut by the fact that he's trying to kill everybody? Sure. <laughs> um, and that may be true. And, and that, yes, he is also at the same time using her. And yeah, I don't have any great answers. I, I guess I would just say, you know, people do contradictory things all the time. Yeah, so. no, and that's what I'm saying. Is yeah. Like, that contradiction isn't necessarily a problem or even a contradiction. Like, from a writing point of view, I don't think that those things can both be true. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't really see any problem with that. Yep. Um, it wasn't, I don't, I guess what I'm saying is, like, I didn't feel like I any. I had any great reversal of feeling towards the mayor. You know, I think I've, I've become a little more um, accepting of the idea that there might be more depth to his feeling yeah. than than I originally thought, um, but not to the extent that that he was a villain that I felt any great deal of yeah no of sympathy for or affinity for or anything. And I don't either. Like I don't think we're meant to. <laughs> You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I don't, yeah, yeah. I think as, as audience, I think that's perfectly fine. I don't know that I've ever heard anyone say, oh yeah, I think, you know, he's a good guy or right, you know, that, right. we, that we should empathize with him in the way that we might empathize with even someone like Davros, who we learn is a prisoner, right. you know what I mean? Or that kind of thing, or has gone through right. a horrific experience or, or the master or, even like, or, you or know, even, like, even like faith, you know, I think. Or even like faith. Who to is, use an actual example from the show we're talking about. Who is, does some genuinely villainous things. And mm -hmm. like in many ways you could compare her to the mayor. But 
I don't ever feel... I don't ever feel... And maybe we just don't know him as well, but I don't feel anything for the mayor like what you feel for Faith. Yeah. You know, even at her most well, depraved. And we should talk about know? her because we totally skipped over her when we were talking about like the Scoobies and the heroes. And I find that sort of interesting that well, we right, did that. Because, because is she, a, is she, she does a hero or is she a sort villain? Of, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I think you're right. I mean, what the last time we see her is Buffy kissing her. You know yeah. what I mean? So I think... If Buffy is the heart, right. we are meant to she sort follow of, Buffy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, to follow her lead. So I think that's a a good point. And there is you mentioned that there is that sort of acknowledgement and forgiveness and acceptance on both parts. If if we're taking that dream sequence they have when they're both passed out in the hospital mm-hmm. to be that it's actually both of their consciousnesses in the same dream. We yeah. might not know whose dream it is or it might be somehow a combined dream. Yeah. Um although I would argue that it's probably more likely fates because we're in her apartment, but that's just sort of my her view. apartment. Um yeah. you know, but if if we are taking that as sort of a dual dream, there there is a sort of idea that maybe there's something of a forgiveness there or a uh yeah you know a release so yeah yeah that's what i that's the impression i got from it um so i i i expect and hope to see her awake at some point Mm. (laughs) no clue when that'll be um but you know I'll be very interested to see does that forgiveness come forward or, you know, does, you know, another, another defeat from Buffy and, and the slaughter of her only father figure, um, you know, become an issue. Um, yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Um, all right. I, I want to bring up too. like, there, there were a couple of minor, um, but important, uh, uh, bad guys or bad baddies. Um, they're not all guys. So we get early in the season with the introduction of faith. We also get the introduction of Mr. Trick. Mm -hmm. Um, and he arrives with, um, Kakistos who Buffy keeps mispronouncing his name. I think yeah. we get taquitos and I don't know a number Something of different toast, yeah. yeah, yeah, burnt toast or whatever, yeah. Um, but uh, sort of, you know, again, we get these fake outs of you know who's the big bad gonna be, and it's uh, you know we're thinking oh maybe it's Kakistos. Oh well, no, he dies the first episode we see him, so yeah, guess it's not him. But then we see like Mister Trick, and he's um, you know planning Slayer Fest and like doing yeah. kind of these entrepreneurial stuff. And so that's sort of interesting, but yeah. no, nope, he ends up dying too. Um, we right. get a re we get a return of Spike. Right. But he leads us to the mayor, you know? So yeah, again, yeah. you get that again, you get that domino effect with the villains mm-hmm. leading one to the next. Yeah. Um, and we get that one episode sort of return of Spike where you sort of wonder, Oh, is he going to come back? And, yeah. Do do something. Well, and, and another one who I think, again, I think I am reasonably sure, not that P- 
people couldn't love Spike based on what we've seen so far. But I'm pretty sure that Spike's going to have a more significant part. You know, I don't know, you know, whether he becomes just more recurring or whether he gets, like, you know, a full-time role or whatever. But like, Or, like, when that is. I mean, I guess that could be, you know, an episode from now. It could be two seasons from now, for all I know. Um, <laughs> sure. So I just have as my one note, when are we going to get more Spike? Because he's fun. Um, well, so I'm looking, I'm, I'm waiting impatiently for that. Yeah. To, and, and I kind of thought it was going to happen this time because right. I think I, I, I think I know that he is coming back at least on a more significant basis. So when he came back, I thought, Ooh, great. Here he is. And right. then he was in one episode and I kept waiting for him to show up again, and he never yep. did. <laughs> yep. So I don't know when to expect that. But yep. um, We already sort of talked about Anya. I had her listed under the bad, the bad peoples as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, she's this vengeance demon, turns, she gets turned into a human because she loses her power center or whatever and um, starts having human-y feelings towards right. uh, Xander in particular. And yeah. I love, like, all the, you know, her very frank sort of attitude about, you know, these feelings. They're, you know, I hate that it, you know, makes me want to vomit <laughs> when yeah, I think yeah. about, you know, you getting hurt, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Um, and Xander's sort of bemused, uncomfortable, yeah. but, like... Um, you know, sort of understanding, well, you know, well, welcome to, you know, romance. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. the way it goes. Um, but like also his sort of hesitation, um, and I keep going back to that moment where he steps away from her in graduation day, part one, when she comes back to try to convince him to leave town with her and yeah. he, he has to sort of physically remove himself from her presence. Yeah. Um, yeah. That it seems to me, and I think I've always read it that way, that it's, that he does literally have to step back because it's such a strong temptation yeah. um, to do so. Um, maybe not. Maybe maybe that can be read differently. But um, The other bad guy I really want to make sure we point out, there's you know some Monsters of the Week and whatever, but, um, and technically he is as well, but Zachary Krolik, who mm. um, is in Helpless, uh, yeah. the, the main vampire there, just a really, you know, sort of liminal episode for Buffy as a character. You know, we talked about the episodes that focus on Xander and Willow um, and even Cordy, but, uh, you know, this is Buffy's growing up moment, right? This is, um, you know, a lot of sort of analysis on sort of her recognition of the patriarchy, uh, you know, the, the, the predatory men who are in her life and they're not all vampires, right? It's, Unfortunately, even Giles, who yeah, is sort of yeah. exceeding to this. Uh, um, right. And how much does that foreshadow the end where she breaks off from the patriarchy? In yeah. Well, graduation it, day? I think it absolutely yeah. is. I think yeah. that's exactly what we're supposed to be thinking of is, is that, you know, we've already seen Giles sort of do it in shame. Right. And yeah. I mean, he, he gets let go by the council. So it's not his decision per se, but it's. It, you know, the shame isn't because he did something to get himself fired from the council. The shame is that he followed the council in the first place. In and, the first and, place, and, yeah. and, and it does put a rift in... And, and, his, and his firing isn't because of 
betraying Buffy, it's because of not following the council's orders. Right. So by standing with Buffy, he gets himself removed from the council. Right. Um, um, and it does put a rift in their relationship for, for a bit anyway. Um, yeah. Although, thankfully, that's repaired and we get to see Giles being good Giles again. Yeah, and ever um, since, I think he's been super, super supportive. <laughs> yeah. Maybe out of guilt. But, um, but I think, like, definitely, pretty much for this whole season, I think we've seen an increasing level of trust on Giles' part of Buffy. Yeah. Um, which has been nice to see. Um, I think there's another way that there's sort of a foreshadowing there with Giles. Um, he loses his job with the council and helpless. Uh, he loses his library in graduation day part two. So mm. the question remains, what will he be doing in season four is, yeah. you know, he yeah. was a library and, and, you know, the other part being that he was only librarian to be, you know, close to where Buffy was, he would right. be the watcher, you know, um, in the place where she is. So now that she's not there anymore, does it even make sense for him to be a librarian in right, whatever right. the new Sunnydale High School will be? Um, right, right. So anyway, but yeah, Zachary Krolik, um, you know, I think just greatly acted uh, and written role uh, just uh, for his creepiness. And we talked a lot about sort of yeah. this slasher feel of that episode. and, and Yeah, you know, and one of the kind of, most adult and darkest yeah. bad yeah. guys I think well, we've seen. Yeah. And I think I mentioned at the time that originally it was called 18. It's very much that growing up episode. It's, it is her 18th birthday episode and, and that idea that you are an adult now and there are real things out there to get you. And situated right in the smack middle of the season yeah. where um, you know, you're getting – Right between Anne, again, you know, where it's yeah. maybe she's a little too young yet to be out on her own, to graduation day, where um, in part one, you know, she explicitly yeah. says, I like to think of my leaving the council as graduation. And then in part two, where, you know, you have the big fight and the actual commencement and all of that. So, yeah. um, you know, supports all of those sorts of sorts of things there but you're right with a much darker sort of feel and and i would say let's not lose sight of that whole idea of you know the watchers council maybe not being the best of institutions mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> uh the most supportive of institutions um but anyway yeah uh man there's so much more we could talk about but i feel like I we know. need to move on any last thoughts on season three? Uh, no. If I start now, I'll never stop. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Well then, on to my uh, miniature introduction to Angel. So, you know, with Buffy, at the, well, both Buffy and Doctor Who, we did a whole episode on sort of introductions to the shows. Um, yeah. I don't think we need quite as much because we already sort of know who Angel is. Yeah. Um, you know, we know his history. Um, mentioned that Cordelia goes over mm -hmm. with him, um, mm -hmm. which by this, you know, by the end of season three of Buffy, people knew Cordelia or, well, you know, Charisma Carpenter yeah. uh, was leaving the show, you know, to go to um, Angel yeah. as well. Um, I have mentioned that, Buff that Wesley also goes over. That was not part of the original sort of thing. So mm. I, I may have inadvertently given a bit of a spoiler there. <laughs> um, Wesley does not appear in the first episode. 
okay. of Angel. I will not tell you when he does appear. When? Okay. All right. So, so um, it will be in the first season. I'll tell sure, you. Sure, I'll tell sure. you that much. But, but it's not. I won't. I won't reveal at what point in the season or you know the circumstances in which that happens. Um, I noticed yeah. you. You have questions about who is traveling over to Angel, other than those three. Um, I won't answer that directly. Other than to say that we will see characters, other characters from Buffy and Angel from time to time. In the beginning, there are no other regular recurring mm. characters that okay. come from Buffy. But I won't, I won't say anything more than that. That doesn't mean there, we won't there will, pop and nobody will pop up or whatever. I've, I've yeah. already, yeah, I've already told you that there are crossovers and yeah. other stuff. And yeah. there are characters who have already stopped appearing in Buffy who might end up showing an angel. You know what I mean? Like it's not just even people who are on uh, Buffy now who might show up. It right. Right. Anybody, in anybody or... in the Buffy verse is up for grabs. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's sort of the most important thing I want to say about angel is that it is still the Buffy verse. So yeah. we're, we're yeah. working from the same universe and maybe that's obvious, but it, it, it just sort of, I think, it, it can be easy to sort of think of it. Oh, it's a different show and different premises, but you know, all these things about, you know, alternate demon dimensions and, you know, sort of hell mouths and, and, you know, that there are different types of demons out there preying on people in different ways and vampires and whatever. Um, yeah. So all of that is still true. Yeah. That said, the show does take a different tone. Um, it's more of a procedural uh, mm -hmm. in that just you, I mean, this is first episode stuff. So not giving a lot away here. Um, Angel it becomes sort of like a, a supernatural detective kind of thing. So people, right, right. people who are looking to, uh, or people who are having problems with various sort of supernatural things, you know, he helps them out and that kind of thing. So, yeah. um, well, you know, if, if we can, uh, kind of, I just want to bring this up because I have something to say about that. You sent, we'll link to this, but you sent me that, the unaired pilot, which is mm. really that like 10 minute yeah, kind of almost like commercial. A promotional, of, yeah. Like yeah, promotional kind video. of some backstory and moody bits. And then like a few short clips of the kind of scenes that you could have or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and it features Cordelia and everything. Um, but that was what struck me most about it was, the the film noir kind of th stuff like it because the one scene was like angel and cordy getting an apartment to set up whatever their kind of detective services or i presume that that's what it seemed to me was like right you know or getting an office or whatever and that's totally what that is it's like he's the gumshoe mm -hmm. and he's the brooding loner anti-hero and she's the like bombshell you know office assistant or whatever and it's in LA and it seems like it's mostly entirely at night and it's very you know seedy streets and you know disreputable people and it's all you know, all these things and so all of that is film noir tropes you know it's right. all like 1940s you know uh you know kind of detective-y type stuff um right so it 
that to say that doesn't surprise me that that's the the if it's a kind of a detective procedural in like conception that's what it seemed to be from that pilot was like this is angel and cordy go off and set up you know a a detective movie from the 50s or something yeah yeah and And that doesn't mean that every episode is going to be like that but that was the distinct vibe that i got off it you know it's kind of like a chinatown kind of thing you know yeah yeah Yeah. and and yeah we'll definitely provide that because i think it's a good good little intro to angel for anyone who's not familiar with it um but yeah no i think i think you're right that there's there's definitely that feel um the first season like the first season of buffy is more monster of the week type stuff it is a little more procedural but you know more you know it's longer it's it's a regular sort of length season than the first season of Buffy was too so they do have more time to sort of develop an arc yeah Um, well and we do know a couple of the characters already and we know the characters a little bit of a head start there um yeah so so definitely some good good stuff uh there um you also get sort of a return to the idea of like a little more because of the monster of the week stuff. It's also a little more metaphor of the week, um, especially, but more adult, a little, a little darker, um, Mm -hmm. you know, more about the pressures of living in a big city, you know, kind of thing. Um, you know, versus the high school stuff that we've sort of seen up till now. So definitely a different, um, tone. Um, also just from a, sort of production standpoint um it's actually so whedon is a co-creator and co-producer uh david Mm. greenwalt being the other one um so you know versus buffy where where he's the primary where whedon is the primary you know showrunner and and producer and all of that um executive producer um david greenwalt is actually the showrunner for Mm. angel um at least in the first several seasons um and um, we can get to who does it later. There's actually some a little bit of turmoil <laughs> in some of the later seasons, so we'll we'll talk about that when we get there. But okay. um, yeah, there is a, a definitely a different tone just because you have a different guy, and um, sure. anyone who's who's seen Grimm probably has a decent idea of sort of the tone because that's a very procedural mm-hmm. sort of thing that. David Greenwalt is now, you know, producer of. So, uh, you know, anyone familiar with that show will will sort of see um, there's a lot of stuff that has come over from Angel into that. Yeah. Um, there's a, although there's a different tone and stuff, there's also a number of similarities. I mean, you do get sort of the core group of people who are working things. I mean, just the fact that we already know Angel, Cordelia, and Wesley – at some point are all going to be in the show. You can sort of see how they're probably going to be working together, you know, in various ways. Um, you do get, I won't tell you where it is or when it's introduced or whatever, but you do end up getting like, uh, um, you know, a place where people go to meet and gather and, there's music there, you know, similar to like the bronze, you know, indie (laughs) pop music. Um, yeah, I don't, you know, I won't say what type of music or exactly how it plays out because there's there's some good stuff there. But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it, it it's a it's a it's a fun you know sort of place where 
people can go and and it sort of has import just as a place where you can get respite from you know your daily woes kind of thing mm-hmm. um uh so yeah so you know you do have sort of these other you know, not exactly the same, of course, but other sort of similarities in, in the show. Um, and, and as I said before, you know, there are crossovers in plot, but there are also its own plots. It's less focused on sort of the big, bad series arcs. Um, there mm-hmm. are definitely story and mythological arcs, but it's not so much focused on like, you know, this, you know, a master or, you know, the, the ascending mayor or, you know, stuff like that. It's, it's, um, takes a little, well, not even smaller scale so much as just different. Like it's not, it's not so there's actually, I would say probably in some ways it's larger scale and, Mm. and is more focused on crossing multiple seasons rather than, you know, having a season to season, um, sort of big, bad. Gotcha. Um, okay. But again, that may not really be the first season. So, you know, the first season, again, you're still sort of getting the, the more monster slash metaphor of the weeks. Yeah. Um, so, so, um, that's my sort of introduction. Any final questions or thoughts or observations? Um, I think that, no, no, I think that answered the questions that I had, at least for now, I mean, obviously. It helped that I, I was wanna, looking I at wanna, the questions you wrote down. All of, looking at the <laughs> questions that I wrote down? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, obviously, I don't want to know a lot more than that. Um, but that kind of, I think, gives a yeah. good intro. Yeah. So, here we go. So, we have a Buffy episode first, because we're going to go in transmission order, which means Buffy did air first. So, we're going right. to do the first oh. Buffy episode of the season. But then... We are going to also, <laughs> it was already going to take us a long time and now we're going to slow it down twice as much by alternating, but that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think it'll be nice to do it that way, but yeah, yeah. you did. It... I'd rather do, I'd rather do that than have like a whole bunch of like angel stuff, not spoiled, but like, I, I, I'd like to not have to wait two years before I watch Angel. <laughs> right, right, so, exactly. Or or have the characters pop up in a crossover and not have a context for where they're at. You know, I think right. it's more going to be more satisfying to just do them in parallel, um, mm-hmm. even if it means I only get to watch a Buffy episode every other week. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Well, and, yeah, I think it makes sense. I. All It'll be those, more satisfying in the long run. All of all of those things, yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you know, talk about transmission order. I I did just want to mention too that like for, I think the whole first season they aired back to back. Yeah. Um, there was a point where they switched nights or something, and then um, in in later seasons they were actually on different networks. So there's you know, there's some funny stuff that might happen a little bit later and the stories don't sort of align as much at that point anyway, but definitely in, in sort of like the first season you get, you know, literally Buffy would air and then angel right after it, like, you know, one right into the other. So you do get more crossover. You do get some good stuff. So I think it just makes sense to, to watch them that way. Um, Yeah. So anyway, all right. All right. 
Well, so with that in mind, we will be back next week talking about the freshman uh, for Buffy season four. And uh, yeah, she's going to college. So we'll see what that's like. All right. See you then. Thank <laughs> you.